Blog Talk Radio. For sustains humanity, human beings, human love, on a spiritual tip, so vast, so great, the African embrace. Live beyond, love beyond your skin to where you belong. Yeah, I'm gonna get you. 
Right now, we're going to bring in Brother Haki, and we're going to welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Haki. Uh, Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamathi Mishoki. And, of course, you know, my thing is all about institution building. But prior to that, Brother Africa, I just want to say, you know, a, you know, a, a, you know, to acknowledge, you know, the life and, and dedication of Brother Kwame Toure. His selfless uh, uh, desire to see, you know, uh, humanity flourish is exemplary. And certainly he is worthy in terms of emulating, in terms of, you know, all that he brought to the table, in terms of, you know, revolutionary struggle and, and commitment, uh, or principal commitment in terms of the betterment of humanity. So Brother Kwame Toure definitely has made a big impact, you know, on humanity. Uh, and uh, certainly his, 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 his passing uh, has, has created somewhat of a void in terms of the movement because his voice was such an intimate part in terms of getting people to really understand the, the nature of the, of, of the uh, problems that are confronting humanity. Uh, you know, as we become lax in our understanding in terms of what's going on, the voice of someone like Kwame Toure would be greatly missed, and I just want to point that out. So, you know, again, uh, you know, much respect and much love and much uh, appreciation what brother, brother Kwame Toure brought to the table in terms of revolutionary struggle. Now, having said that, Brother Africa, I want to talk briefly about um, the politics of global warming because one of the things I find very interesting, we got a small cadre, a small cobble of individuals who actually think the planet belongs to them. And what I find even more problematic is that increasingly a larger and larger number of us actually somehow support this notion just that the small cabal of individuals have a right to run the, the, the planet, even destroy it, you know, for their benefit. So clearly uh, we have some problems in terms of global warming. And so there's some updates I think that people should be aware of, so I thought I'd briefly talk about that. So let's check this out. Now, capitalism and destruction goes hand in hand. Guided by short-term gains to maximize profits, not only imperils life, but endangers the very planet needed to sustain life. Global warming, as an example, has been hotly debated, and the consensus needed to address global warming has been temperate, to say the least. Statistical data revealing the seven climate indicators all reveal record-level increases warranting urgent action to address global warming. In 2015, the Paris Protocols embraced the Goal Zero Pledge, but the pledge was less a call to arms than an attempt to appease big oil and gas interests by providing means to circumvent necessary steps to address global warming. Gold Zero Pledge, a mere slogan, proposed balancing amounts of greenhouse gases, carbon, not, not, excuse me, carbon, methane, etc., produced and the amount of greenhouse gas removed from the atmosphere. Obviously, this plan does not seek the elimination or huge reduction of greenhouse gases, but the management of greenhouse gases, which in essence would remain in place, continue to impose environmental destruction. Similar proposals have been advanced elsewhere. The International Energy Agency last year advocated net zero energy system by 2050, thus giving the planet an even chance of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius or 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit, above pre-industrial levels by 2100. While the planet is optimistic, the statistical analysis of global warming currently indicates more sense of urgency is needed, whereas the Paris Protocols call for limiting global warming to 2 degrees Celsius, preferably 1.5 degrees Celsius or 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit. Global climate indicators currently indicates even that window of opportunity to address global warming is closing with the need for more urgent action right now, not action into the future. Veracity of immediate responses entailed in recent reports. Recently, the National Weather Service released an advisory report warning 
100 million people in the U.S., particularly in the, in the southwestern and southern regions, one-third of the entire U.S. population, were in danger from temperatures in excess of 100-plus degrees. If this isn't problematic enough, reports indicate Arctic ice is melting even faster than we thought. Melted ice eliminates possibility of reflecting sunlight and in the process increase, increases, increases the temperatures of the ocean killing coral reefs, which absorbs carbon dioxide. Warmer oceans increases temperatures extremes throughout the planet, which is nobody's interest. Unfortunately, unpleasant news persists. Government studies have revealed four out of seven climate indicators hit record highs, while the overall trend pointed negatively. Surface temperatures, ocean heat content, atmospheric carbon concentration, and ocean acidification all hit record levels posing danger to both human and fish stocks alike. Exacerbated by greenhouse gas increases, the concentration of such gases reached a record high of 413.2 parts per, per million in 2020 and continues to rise. In 2021, monitoring sites in Hawaii revealed rises in greenhouse gases continue to rise exponentially, paving way for temperature extremes the planet has never experienced. In fact, between 2015 and 2021 constitute the warmest period in the Earth's history. Now, the problem of reaching the threshold of 1.5 degrees Celsius to combat global warming is compromised by greenhouse gas output that continues to rise. Pursuit of profit has witnessed a trend more powerful than sustaining the planet or life on the planet. The power of money at any cost resonates with wealth, and as such, continues to be a stumbling block fighting global warming. Sixty of the largest banks in the world invest in fossil fuels to a tune of $3.8 trillion a year. In the U.S., the five largest banks, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase, invest $137 billion on fossil fuels yearly, according to Coalition of Environmental Advocacy. Increased greenhouse gas output complicates, complicates the science needed definitively to access the timetable needed to address global warming. During the time of the Paris Protocols, it was believed achieving a threshold of 1.5 degrees Celsius to start the process of reversing global warming could be achieved within five years. Optimistic in 2015, 1.5 degrees Celsius was achievable. By 2017, the probability was 10% an impossibility, reaching 50% of the probability reaching the needed 1.5 degrees Celsius to avert environmental disaster. As the odds of reaching the projected 1.5 degrees Celsius eludes us, the notion of progress is inserted into the discussion around global warming. The implicit meaning of progress infers fossil fuels' importance to industrial society, and without them, sustaining human society would not be viable, not to mention unprofitable. This market-based analysis to global warming finds it difficult to quantify the value of life or the utility of a healthy planet. This is precisely why Carolyn Dennett, former consultant for Shell, resigned. Donat stated, quote, Shell's dangerous efforts to expand oil and gas production despite warnings to decarbonization to avert climate disasters is why I must resign, end quote. The more obvious aspect of the market, market-based solution to global warming is the politics it engenders. With global warming comes increased heat, famine, and insect manifestation. These events will disproportionately impact the global south, those least responsible for the fossil fuel degradation of the planet. By 2050, urban populations are expected to increase 2.5 billion people in Asia and Africa. The economics of these nations will not be sufficient to accommodate these large numbers, and as a consequence, will bear the brunt of global warming impacts. Some officials believe the West should fund the Global South by $600 billion in the next few years to assist the Global South to prepare for catastrophic increases of global warming. However, most climate studies published only deal with global warming impact on Western countries. In the U.S. alone, 
30,000 studies published on climate change, only 10,000 studied climate change in Africa, a continent three times the size of the U.S. with a population 2.5 times larger. If we are to extrapolate, the focus of global warming is clearly not Africa or the global south. If this be correct, why would U.S. or Western states assist Africa or the global south from averting catastrophe? Market-based solutions will see devastation in Africa or the global south as an opportunity to take advantage of its weakened economy. Focusing on now, focusing on this climate change inside the U.S. borders, the politics become even more diabolical. Recently, Politico's E&E News reported the Federal Emergency Management Act has allocated billions of dollars to flood mitigation money using a racially in- inequitable system that favors ri- flood-prone housing in rich areas or communities consisting mostly of white people. The report goes on to say, quote, these elevation grants, which protects homes from flooding by implementing repairs, have turned white areas into enclaves, enclaves of, of climate resi- resilience, uh, which raises their property values, values, end quote. Ironically, these grants are given to many, many wealthy people who could afford their own repairs. Just like urban areas in the global south, urban areas in the U.S. are neglected in part due to market-based criteria that establishes policies that disqualify individuals based upon skin color, where they live, or their economic status. Advocates for depopulation must be enjoying this scenario, which potentially could eradicate or eliminate lots of people, such as the case of a market-based economy called capitalism. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Yeah, Brother Haki, sound like they're on the course of self-destruction, and they're trying to take us with them. What do you think about that? I think that's, that's, that's what I find so problematic about it all, Brother Africa. You've got this small group of people, this small group of uh, uh, multi-billionaires, whose position is that they have a right to fundamentally run the, the planet the way in which they see fit. So irrespective of the fact that they're leading, they're leading the planet to destruction, their position is that as long as we can capitalize and make money, that is all that matters, that the lives of the masses of the people on this planet or the planet itself is inconsequential. And so for me, I find that very, very problematic, and I'm just wondering why more and more increasingly why more and more people are not standing up. If you don't, if you don't care for politics per se, at least give some concerns in terms of the destruction, potential destruction of the planet. Because clearly these people in positions of power don't care anything at all about the planet. Their position is that they're going to destroy this planet and move to the moon or to Mars, you know, for subsequent colonization. But that's no guarantee that they'll be, even be successful in terms of achieving colonization, you know, on other planets. But that is their goal. But it seems to me as, as, as a wise course of action to take care of the planet that you're, that you're on to ensure it's there for you, you know, way into the future. So to me, it makes more sense to safeguard the, the interests of the planet as opposed to doing things that consciously, you know, consciously, you know, is going to lead to the destruction of the planet, ultimate destruction of all human life or all life across the board, animal and human. So clearly, Brother Africa, I think, yes, there is this, 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 this it seems to be this implication that, uh, you know, that, that life is esoteric, and so destruction of life has no, has, no, has no really consequence. So, therefore, let's engage in destruction of, of the planet because the life itself has no meaning at all. So I find that very, very problematic. Thank you, Brother Haki. We can move forward now, and we can bring in Brother Anthony. We'd like to welcome Brother Anthony to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation 
and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And Father Brother Anthony, we're going to bring in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, talk to us. Welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. Now, we don't reverse correct verdicts, Brother Africa. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. Uh, I, I think, you know, the women hold up half the sky, and that's why I, I support the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. And so the struggle is, is still between the haves and the have-nots. It's about um, empathy, compassion, altruism. It's about getting leadership in a position to lead and, and in positions where they can make a difference for the masses of the people and to represent the masses of the people. And this is a lot easier said than done. It's, you know, we you can identify a lot of good people uh, in the movement, but how to get them into positions of power, legitimate positions of power, legitimate structure, uh, organization, uh, that's the issue, and that's easier said than done. So thank you, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show, and greetings to the fellow panelists and, and everyone who's listening. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. If I'm Brother Moses... We're going to travel down the road of liberation and bring in Sister Eleanor. Welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you, Brother Africa. Good evening to everyone. My name is Eleanor Johnson. I want to thank you, Brother Africa, uh, the fellow panelists, and our listening audience for tuning in this evening. Uh, we've seen several changes this week. In addition to, as Brother Aki said, not addressing the issue of Mother Earth, loving Mother Earth, we all must operate from the pretense of love, respect, and patience. And Brother Africa, this week we've seen dismal things happening in the United States of America. We've seen the Supreme Court allow concealed weapons to be carried in New York City. Um, At least in the wild, wild west, the gunslingers had to wear them so they could be seen. Also, in the, in, when it comes to working class women in particular, we've seen the Supreme Court take away their rights of choice and the rights of women throughout our nation. On the day that that happened, the U.S. joined four countries in the world that banned abortion. That's Nicaragua, El Salvador, the U.S., and I'm sorry right now, I don't recall the fourth. In addition, um, we saw 11 states pass legislation on that day banning abortion, including South Dakota, Kentucky, Ohio, uh, and uh, I will further add those names. Um, I had my list here, but it's inaccessible right now. This evening, I'm 
coming in from Georgetown University Hospital in Washington, D.C. Um, global warming, human rights, uh, such as housing, educational equity, health care, these are basic human rights that are recognized by many nations but fail to be recognized by the United States of America. This week with the Supreme Court's uh, decision, it is poor women and it is extremely racist in that 30 African Americans make up 12% of the population, but African American women and girls make up 38% of the persons receiving abortions in a what we would call a public health venue, ergo on Medicaid or um, in some states relying on family planning uh, clinics and places that provide abortion. So we see this as another strike against the people, against women, and against children because we do not feed women and children. We have a poverty level that exceeds most developing nations. Nations. So with that in mind, I just say good evening to everyone, and I'm sure we have a great show this evening, and thank you once again for having me, and thank you for everyone, and happy birthday to Revolutionary Brother Kwame Ture. All right, thank you, Sister Illinois, and we now will go, we will go to Brother Subukwe. Brother Maurice, talk to us. Welcome to Africa on the Move. And greetings, brother Africa and fellow panelists. <laughs> I got a long way to go before I can live up to that name. Um, again, my, my name is uh, Brother Maurice. Um, I'm a worker for the people, a supporter of the AAPRPGC, and I'm an organizer for the Pan-African Revolutionary Socialist Party. Um, thank you so much again for having me back on the show tonight. And I just want to give observance to a freedom fighter, uh, brother Kwame Ture. Uh, I know his birthday is uh, Wednesday, and we're going to celebrate him all this week. And I also want to give a service to the Congo. They had uh, achieved their independence um, on, on, on June 30th uh, with the leadership of Patrice Lumumba, who was uh, 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 sinisterly cut down by the West, including the United States of America. But thank you so much again for having me here tonight. Thank you. Okay, we can come back to Brother Moses. I know you want to give his his shout out to the respected Brother Kwame Ture, Brother Moses. We can come back to you and what would you like to say in terms of remembering the life and legacy of Brother Kwame Ture to have thank you. Thank you, thank you for this opportunity to lift up uh, Brother Kwame Ture. Um, definitely a revolutionary, uh, definitely a one of a kind. I, I, I said. Um, uh, 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 maybe a year ago or so, uh, uh, there's a song about, you know, who, if have you any mountains that you cannot tunnel through, have you any any rivers that you can't seem to cross, well, God specializes in things impossible. And uh, anyway, I said Kwame Ture, he specialized in revolution and pan-Africanism and uh, the united Africa under scientific socialism, and he tried to unite all Africans Africans uh, in the diaspora and around the world into an organized force. And certainly he had a revolutionary vision, and we honor that vision. And uh, um, so with that being said, I just say 
thank you and have a have a, a good evening. Thank you. And we're coming back to you, Brother Anthony. We'll give him a few minutes to acknowledge um, the legacy and the life of Brother Kwame Ture. Brother Anthony. Yes. Uh, Brother Kwame Ture lived up to one of his sayings, student spark revolution. And he definitely did that during the course of his life. Uh, from childhood until he made his transition uh, in 1998. He uh, he organized for the masses of the people. And uh, he he remained, uh, you know, committed throughout his entire life. Uh, He made the revolution his life. And, uh, you know, and uh, the masses of African people worldwide and worldwide humanity are grateful to him for that. And uh, I had the honor of working with Brother Kwame the last 15 years of his life. And uh, and uh, it was an honor and a privilege uh, to work with such a giant among uh, his people, and uh, and uh, I commend him uh, for the contributions he made to humanity while he was alive. Live, may he rest in, in eternal peace in Guinea. Thank you, Brother Anthony. We are acknowledging the birthday of Brother Kwame Ture. He was born on the 29th of June, 1941, and made a transition on November 15, 1998. Today, for still living, he's been 81 years young. And again, we don't want to forget about our freedom fighters. So what we're going to do right now, we're going to pause for the call, take a revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about what's going on in your world and the community. And you can participate with us by dialing 323-679-0841. This is Brother Africa, and this is Africa on the Moon. White. It's an African one.
Yeah. 
and working as collective, we're going to be free. Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. I'm Brother Africa. Um, before we get started on that segment on what's going on in your world community, we'd like to give you a little African historical fact that took place on this particular day back in 1955. The South African Freedom Day declared in 1955 a memorial to the determination of the Azania African people to carry on the struggle against racism, exploitation, and oppression. And continue today, we are fighting this. This is the hour of resistance and rebellion. This is what Africa on the Move is all about. We want to organize our people, and we're going to use information as the tool for our liberation. Um, in the seat as Brother Africa, we're going to define and stand behind it. We welcome you to come and join us by dialing 323-679-4841. As we discuss our theme today, Africa today. That's our theme. Before we go to our theme, like we stated, we're going to talk a little bit right now about what's going on in your world and the community. And we're going to start out with Brother Hockey. We're going to bring him back in and talk to us, Brother Hockey, about what's going on in your world and the community. Well, well, Brother Africa, a long overdue acknowledgement uh, that I um, felt is vital that, uh, you know, we give uh, you know proper respect to, to the individual whose uh, principal stand uh, has contributed greatly to the movement here in this country. And specifically, I'm talking about uh, Brother Grandmaster Jake. Now, recently, Grandmaster Jay, who's part of the Not Effing Around Coalition, was found guilty on two counts in Kentucky. It was alleged by state 
by the state authorities, he pointed his rifle at federal agents' rooftop, which in their opinion constituted assault. Allegedly, during the Beyond and Taylor demonstration in Louisville, Kentucky, during dusk, uh, Grandmaster Jay had attached on his assault rifle and a flashlight, which provided better visibility to discourage youth from throwing rocks from the rooftop. Even though others had flashlights attached to their rifles, Grandmaster Jay was singled out for prosecution. The fact state prosecutors alleged Grandmaster Jay was culpable, it was ironic three months later before Grandmaster Jay was charged. Ultimately, he was convicted of assaulting, assaulting, resisting, or impeding officers engaged in official duty. Ironically, if this is the case, law enforcement officials are compelled to address an infraction of the law which threatens law enforcement in a timely fashion. How he resisted or impeded officers' duties surveillance from a rooftop is nonsensical to say the least. Also, he was found guilty of brandishing a firearm in relation to a crime of violence. Really. Looking, looking around constitutes violence, not to mention brandishing suggests the weapon is used to coerce others, a difficult endeavor since the strategic advantage lies with those on the rooftop. So why is, in fact, not effing around coalition and Grandmaster J. Road pivotal to the struggle for equality? In one word, defense. In advocating for equal rights, these demands will not be perceived in a way these demands have any legitimacy. With the rise of authoritarianism in the U.S., African demands have even less legitimacy than previously, historically speaking. The state's response historically has been to erect social political barriers that delegitimize its claim of inequality and in the process isolate those perceived as undeserving of inequality to shut down any discussion of systematic inequality. The problem with this strategy is the numbers of people impacted by the systematic inequalities have grown to include increasing numbers of disinfected white people who are increasingly disenchanted with the welfare provided to wealthy at their expense. In order to prevent the possibility of coalitions between black and white organizations fighting for social, economic, political change, provisions must be formed in a way the majority population perceives their interests separate from African people. In this context, political violence is a useful tool for divide and conquer. While political violence is inevitable in a society that facilitates ignorance or social control, it is the organized political violence by the state that is the most pernicious. Historically, U.S. intelligence agencies have organized operatives to engage in destabilization operations and weaken countries within. Currently, the CIA and special forces are training operatives, many with neo-Nazi sympathies who fight in Ukraine. Many of these neo-Nazi recruits are U.S. citizens. One of the biggest concerns, barring them being killed in Ukraine, of course, is that they will return to the U.S. These people hardwired to believe in a system that advocates equality is communism. These individuals can easily be pressed into service by powerful elites to eradicate those radicals advocating for political change. Paradoxically speaking, the process of legitimizing U.S. white nationalist fighting has already begun. According to Alex Rubenstein of Red Zone, U.S. corporate media has promoted non-U.S. white nationalists fighting in Ukraine as heroes while, quote, whitewashing their records of murder and political violence, end quote. Let's pose by blowback a legitimate concern as well as by witnessing U.S. funding of mercenaries in Afghanistan, Syria, and Libya, where the same groups organized by U.S. intelligence agencies surfaced at a later date to fight against U.S. against the U.S. against the U.S. Blowback in the U.S. context will be slightly different. While blowback existing in other countries threatens U.S. national interests, inside the borders of the U.S. there is only one interest, the perseverance of power by a small group. In order that power be preserved, the unconditional elimination of perceived enemies must be thorough and uncompromising. Make no mistake, the liquidation of large swaths of the population serves strategic interests 
on two levels. One, it ensures the necessary level of fear is sufficient to condition the population to feel powerless and to concede what little human rights remain. And secondly, when carried out by white white wing nationalists, it affords the state the plausible deniability that shields the U.S. from international scrutiny as death proliferates. Now, against this backdrop, without means to defend oneself, the magnitude of this potential destruction could approach genocidal dimensions. Historically, organizations like Dickens for Defense, Black Panthers, and Organization for African-American Unity also recognize the importance of self-defense in the fight for self-determination. Grandmaster G2 understands the terrain in which African people must parade in America. Before the ill-informed or naive paint Grandmaster J. Clueless or a terrorist, remember, attacks on critical race theory, 1619 Project, and Republican Cuts to Education is designed to specifically render African people invisible. With invisibility comes perceived weakness. Now, I pose this question to everyone. Who's more likely to be attacked in society without, without a moral barometer, the perceived weak or the perceived strong? Now, philosophically, whether we like it or not, we are in a fight <coughs> across the board. For a ruling class community to maintain control at all costs, do you really think mass killing or genocide poses a moral dilemma for them? Probably not. That's why I understand Grandmaster Jay and not mess, not effing around coalition importance to the movement, and so should you. And I close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we will go to Brother Anthony. Talk to us. What's going on in your world and the community? Okay. Uh, this has been a rather eventful week. Uh at home in Azania, South Africa, uh, there were 22 uh, dead uh, people discovered in a in a tavern in Azania. Uh, I did not read about any details about how they were killed. Uh, but, uh, according, uh, to what I read, uh, there were at least two victims, 13 years of age. And bear in mind, this was found in a tavern in Azania, South Africa. And, uh, you know, and it begs the question, what would, uh, people that young be doing in a, in a tavern. But anyway, uh, let's see. And also, uh, uh, let's see, there was uh, uh, the struggle is, in, uh, intense, uh, is intensifying everywhere. Uh, there was, I went to, uh, I attended a rally yesterday in support of ending the blockade of Cuba. And uh, this coin, uh, this falls on, uh, on uh, occurred the same week. There was uh, a resolution uh, passed at the UN General Assembly calling for the decolonization of Puerto Rico. And uh, so, uh, and also, uh, there was uh, an election held in Colombia in which uh, the left wing, uh, one uh, wing party, won the election. So, the, 
as uh, as imperialism intensifies its domination, the fight against all forms of imperialism is intensifying everywhere in the world, even inside the U.S., the belly of the beast. Thank you, Brother F. Transition to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. Um, this 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 week, uh, I should I, I I never gave proper uh, respect to the Answer Coalition and and its uh, its um, alternative to the to the um, uh, America's what is it Summit of America, the People's Summit um, out in L.A. Um, they had a very wonderful um, turnout and a wonderful forum. Forums, uh, several panels. Uh, one of them was on Pan Africanism. Uh, I think Eugene Perea headed that. Headed, headed the panelists. Um, I think James Early was included in there. There were other panels. Uh, panels. Um, uh, Dr. Cornell West was out there on the panel. Uh, and so there's a lot of good people uh, uh, getting together around socialism and the need for socialism, and uh, uh, and it's very encouraging. Uh, yes, we know the fact that Cuba and um, Venezuela and and Nicaragua were were uh, shunned from the from the Biden's summit, um, but this was they were representative in this, at the People's Summit. And it was very successful. And I just want to acknowledge that and give a shout-out to to the people. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. We'll make our next transition to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world, in the community? Well, well, Brother Africa, as Brother Anthony said, and Brother Moses won the um, conference in L.A., but most importantly, not only are we at a time in history where we're fighting capitalism and imperialism, we're fighting uh, totalitarianist governments. And the defeated candidate in Colombia was uh, a capitalist who considered Hitler as the greatest uh, uh, political philosopher of the 20th century. So victory to the people and voting counts. Uh, what's happened in my world this week, Brother Africa, is that the day the Roe versus Wade uh, was overturned, several states that day put into a law. They they're ready and they're ready with their pencils and arms legislation that completely uh, makes abortion illegal, including in in some states incest and rape. Uh, that included Kentucky, Ohio, South Dakota, uh, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Alabama, Missouri, Nevada, Utah. And uh, I, it, so we see this happening while in Michigan um, uh, they were struggling with laws around guns. And as I said, the Supreme Court this week, the U.S. Supreme Court also uh, legitimize the carrying of concealed weapons in the New York City. 
the one individual because the right wing and the capitalists are so well organized challenged the state of New York, a 132-year-old law banning, banning concealed weapons, and it overthrew the law. So the state was being sued by an individual. So right now, more than ever, we see not only do we need to organize, but it's an opportunity to organize because women, uh, their, their rights to control decisions about their bodies are being attacked. We also heard in that decision that uh, they think that uh, sodomy and other things should be outlawed. Well, these things, and uh, we see that uh, 11 states passed tick laws. That's where you uh, saw, like in Charlottesville, where someone rolls into someone, you know, that can be challenged somehow as not being a crime. So we saw in Phoenix, Arizona, when uh, this this Friday, where uh, a a driver uh, rolled into the demonstrators, and we see a real strong division in this country that the Roe v. Wade demonstrators that are concerned about women's rights are a a, a group that's nonviolent and 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 needs to be and is in some ways organized, but. However, because we saw solidarity demonstrations around the country, abortion is legal in New York, but the people, pro, pro-choice people, came out in New York, California, and throughout the United States. And again, the United States is now one of only four developed countries that has these agreed to clause. We saw, um, we see challenges. Uh, that Clarence Thomas suggests that interracial marriage should be banned. He he suggested in the decision that we should re-examine Brown versus the Board of Education. So we see uh, horrific things happening. But the big fight is fascism. We elected Donald Trump. But people are, are, are so confused right now, Brother Africa, that you find... Um, them just saying what the rule is and not using their own good minds to make reasonable decisions. And that was one of the, you know, uh, what helped lend itself to the development of uh, of these totalitarian culture of the world that we saw from 1933 to 1945. Now it's up to every one of us to that when the 39 states between November 2020 and now passed voter suppression laws is to stop people from voting. So we need a revolution in this country. We need for the uh, uh, workers to control the means of production, not a few men or a few people or corporations. But right now we need to fight for the reforms that protect the, us and allow us to organize to go forward, such as voters' rights, uh, the right to health care, education, and those things. And uh, uh, remember, uh, Kavanaugh uh, it was put on the Supreme Court, and a doctor challenged him because she was sexually assaulted. And as you know, the U.N. recognizes that one in four women 
will be one in four women and girls in their life will be sexually assaulted. That's one billion people. And we do not recognize that in the United States and have placed on our Supreme Court a man that was accused of this. And in the end, they were arguing that it was consent. Why? So these are dangerous times. And the legitimacy of the court is being questioned. And it's one of our three branches of government in this, quote, delicate democracy, end quote, the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch. So we see this as a, I see this as a time um, that more than ever, we need to stand up and fight and really fight against totalitarianism and uh, fascism. We see Marjorie Taylor Greene speaking out uh, with uh, Donald Trump, and they are by the thousands coming to his demonstrations. So we need to unite, progress people with common interests, or join people that realize that uh, if they're attacking women's rights of choice and they're attacking voters' rights, and they're attacking people's uh, uh, personal choices in terms of their um, marital status and weather and, and, and this kind of thing, that we all need to unite right now because one, we're like one domino and then the next domino until they knock them down. We heard the pro-abortion people and the Republican Party um, discussing the fact that they'd like to see national legislation prohibiting abortion. And so with that in mind, I just say thank you. And again, Mother Earth is screaming out because of the environmental attack on her body. And without her, we cannot sustain life. And the global south, the rich think that is theirs and it's up for grabs. And again, Kwame Ture and the liberation of Guinea, I believe he said it's better to be uh, than to be a neo-colonialist. It's better to be a, a free person than to be a, 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 a neo-colonialist in slavery. So with that in mind, thank you so much, Brother Africa, once again. And thank you to our listening audience in the United States and worldwide. Uh, thank you, Sister Eleanor. I thank Secretary Ray. I could paraphrase. I thank the statement that he made when he acquired their independence. He was saying it's better to live in poverty with dignity than live in riches in enslavement. And that's a profound statement, and I totally agree with that. That is. Thank you. So thank, thank you, Brother. Thank you, Sister. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Let's go to our brother, Brother Maurice. Talk to us. What's going on in your world in the community? Yes, yes. Uh, to add on um, to what you know, to the to the to the uh, death toll of Africans that are being murdered, man. Can Africa and Africans are on fire. To add along with the 22 Africans that Brother Anthony spoke about in South Africa, who who was found murdered, we had uh, we have 30 Africans um, who were murdered trying to cross the Morocco and Spain border. There's a video 
that's currently on the, on the, on the way to going viral. You can see our brothers and sisters, children laying dead, being murdered by the hands of the military uh, of Spain and and of of Morocco, and um and it, and it's and it's sickening, man. You know, as always. And to add along, you got additional seventy nine Africans were recently killed in bikini bikini I'm sorry bikini fossil. Um, uh, you know, from the hands of Western-backed terrorists. A month ago, we had a stampede in Nigeria killing more than 30 Africans that involved children. And uh, additional to that, uh, mothers, Tanzania, on the continent, are being tricked into giving up their disabled children to human traffickers. Uh, So, so yeah, right now Africa is on fire. Now, um, comments were made about the uh, the South America or the uh, Latin America. They getting some wins, but at the end of the day, you know we we see uh, uh, Lula da Silva running, trying to run back to get his seat back in Brazil against another Trump supporter, uh, Bolsonaro. That's just, that's that's cool and dandy, but we must understand the importance of class struggle. We must understand the uh, uh, importance of we have to have the control of the military and not only have control of the military, the military military have to be trained and political politically educated, like uh the great Kwame Nkrumah, as as Kwame Ture called him, the son of Africa, stated in, in his book Class Struggle, we have to uh train our sh- uh, soldiers and what and what our brothers did in Cuba through guerrilla warfare, we have to be politi- politically educated. Last but not least in the words of who we are celebrating tonight and this week, Prometheus Ray stated that reforms is not going to work. You can we we don't try this for over damn near over a hundred years now, trying to um, overturn the values um, of, of of this government of the West and its society, and they had shown over and over. We gave a, numerous examples tonight that they don't have any values, so we cannot appeal. To these people, heart, whatever heart they have, or any type of value, the only heart they have is uh, uh, wealth. You cannot appeal to these people through through the value system and working with reforms. And we got to go further than that. We have to organize more than ever. We have to we have to read and study and educate, agitate more than ever. And it's this is more than catchphrases, man. We, you know, we have to put in the work. And uh, we, we definitely, um, I urge and challenge my generation, my generation who's out there listening, who is 40 and under, please get up, join the AAPRPGC immediately. Join a revolutionary pan-African socialist organization immediately, brother, or and sister. We need you. So we are dying all over the world. Thank you, Brother Maurice. You listen to Africa on the Move. We're going to a refugee culture break, and when we come back, we will continue to discuss what's going on in our world and community. This is Brother Africa on Africa on the Move.
living in pain Today is the same And nothing ever changes Hung by the news Can't tell the truth Filled with abuse And everywhere there's danger How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey. Yeah, last through my journey. We must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know. That I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Pellerino. A bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights, pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin, turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun, pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, 
did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pelorinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be, to know that I've been here, and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah. Have you heard of the Rosetta Stone? It's one of the most precious artifacts of all time, the first clue to understanding ancient Egyptian scripts. It led to the discovery of at least three writing systems. This stone is as old as modern civilization, the Rosetta Stone. Then we have the Elgin Marbles, a set of Greek sculptures from the 5th century. They were built to decorate Parthenon, the temple of Athena. They're exquisite, just like the Benin bronzes. This is a collection of metal plaques. They once decorated the kingdom of Benin. The Benin bronzes are an African treasure. They show how skilled African artists were. Then comes the Tanjaur Shiva, another masterpiece. It's a bronze statue of Lord Shiva, the Hindu god, made almost a thousand years ago during the Chola dynasty. A testimony to the remarkable craftsmanship of the sculptors of ancient India. These are all stunning pieces of art. Do you know what's common between them? They're all present in the British Museum. Or should I say the British Warehouse of Loot. These artifacts were either stolen or won by force or acquired unfairly. Today they serve as a cruel reminder of colonial times. But the British Museum displays them with pride. It presents them as prized treasures, showing no sense of remorse for the past crimes or gratitude for the people from whom these were taken. And why just Britain? Museums across Europe are filled with such objects, with uncomfortable histories linked to colonialism. So here's a question. Do they have the right to keep displaying these objects? Hello and welcome to Gravitas Plus. I'm Palki Sharma Upadhyay. They say in law, a thief is not allowed to keep ill-gotten gains. No matter how long ago they were taken, they must be returned. No matter how much that thief may have improved them, they must be returned. European nations wrongfully took cultural riches. They took them from countries that are now independent states. But most of them refused to even discuss returning them. They refused to make reparations for their historical wrongs. According to the Archaeological Institute of America, 85 to 90% of classical artifacts and museums do not have a documented provenance, meaning they don't have a record of ownership or a record of origin through which museums can justify their right to possess these objects. Most of these artifacts are from Africa and Asia. In 2018, the French government commissioned a report. Guess what they found? Nearly 90% of Africa's cultural heritage is held by museums and institutions outside of Africa. Nearly 90%. France alone has 90,000 such objects, stolen objects. A majority of them can be found at the Cave Ronley Museum. It's a state-of-the-art museum situated in Paris. It holds a vast collection of art. 
indigenous art from the eight African colonies that France once ruled. Last month, French President Emmanuel Macron decided to make some amends. He made French museums bid adieu to a trove of treasures. At least 26 stolen artifacts taken from the Kingdom of Benin were sent back. The works included palatial doors and royal thrones. They were all returned as a gesture of humility. Today's gesture is the possibility for the youth of Benin, the youth of Africa, to retrieve the works of their history and heritage, to be able to admire them at home. And I hope that this movement will continue and that the universal will be accessible in Cotonou as in Paris. And we will continue this work together. This move has had ramifications across Europe and the U.S. It has opened a debate on looted artifacts, a debate to send them back to their country of origin. A few museums have decided to do this. They've ceded ground. They've begun a process of restitution, but most of the mighty museums are playing ostrich. I'm talking about the big ones, like the British Museum in London, the Louvre in Paris, the Humboldt Forum in Berlin, the Getty Center in Los Angeles, the Metropolitan in New York. They're all playing dumb. These museums have locked up the precious legacy of a million people and they reject all demands to return any of it. They consider these artifacts as spoils of war, an argument that does not hold water, neither morally nor legally. International law does not allow it. You see, the concept of finders keepers does not apply anymore. There's a United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. It reaffirms the right of a country to reclaim its treasures. It obliges museums to return property that was taken without free, prior and fair consent. In fact, this has been recognized by courts. In England, Ireland and the US, courts have ruled in favor of returning wrongfully acquired artifacts. They've said that other countries have sovereignty over items which they think constitute keys to their heritage. And it's not just courts who back this call. Human rights treaties also support what they call the right to culture. The right to reclaim what belongs to your culture. Take India, for instance. It was colonized for two centuries by the United Kingdom. And this was colonialism in its most predatory form. The British looted everyone and everything. In today's value, this loot would amount to a sum of $45 trillion. This is according to research by Columbia University Press. It says Britain drained a total of $45 trillion from India. Shouldn't the UK pay reparations for this? Forget reparations. The least it can do is return India's stolen artifacts, like the Kohinoor, one of the most precious diamonds in the world. This diamond was mined at the Kulur mine in India. It was unfairly ceded to Queen Victoria when Britain annexed Punjab in 1849. Today it adorns Queen Elizabeth's crown. Another priceless artifact is Maharaja Ranjit Singh's throne. It's covered with sheets of engraved gold. After the Anglo-Sikh war, it was moved to the Albert Museum. It's been in Britain ever since. Just like the sandstone idol of Lord Harihara from Madhya Pradesh. This 500 kg copper Buddha from Bihar. The sword of Tipu Sultan. They're all locked up at museums in Britain. What's the UK's excuse to keep them? Their argument is incredible. Most of the museums in Britain say their only aim is to make these objects available to all so that people from all over the world can come and see them, learn more about the roots and cultures they go from. They say they keep them for the rest of the world. Do you believe this? Do you buy this argument? It's like saying that some kid from Africa can always go to Britain to learn more about her culture. Why? Because Britain is the cultural capital of the world. 
capital of colonial loot more like. As for the public service they claim to do, here's what. People from all over the world can see African art in Africa too and Indian art in India too. In fact, the whole concept of these museums is more like a colonialist fantasy of neatly cataloging the entire world in a single air-conditioned building so that Westerners do not have to cross continents to uncomfortable climates to see them. My point is quite simple. Artifacts belong to the countries of their origin, to places where they can best be appreciated, to people for whom they have the most meaning. So by holding on to them and displaying them for a fee, Western museums are still benefiting from their colonial legacy, still validating their historical wrongs and injustices. Their empires have crumbled, but their sense of entitlement has not. You were listening to a documentary on museum must return stolen artifacts. And we played this particular piece because as we talk about what's going on in our world, in the community, we would like to divert our attention to a recent article that came out this past week where it talks about how the Belgian return remains that belongs to the people of the Congo and that what those remains were remains from our first elected president, Lumumba. We'd like to have some discussion on this whole Phenomenon now of Western nations now acknowledging returning remains and artifacts that never did belong. So, so to our listening panelists, in terms of what's going on in our world today, I'd like for each one of y'all to respond to the article that was written on the return, the return of the remains to the Congo with Patrice Lumumba our first president, what it means today by them acknowledging the family returning those remains back to the family members and back to the people of the Congo. Why would someone want to take a human limb, a human finger, a human teeth and hold it for long periods of time? Brother Haki, what you make of this kind of behavior? Brother Africa, in a nutshell, I, I got to be very candid with you. I, I, I can't understand it. <laughs> I, you know, intellectually, you know, um, you know, I try to, 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 to rationalize such behavior by saying that human beings are capable of doing very, very horrible things, and that is very, very true. But in terms of the utility of actually taking the teeth and taking the fingers, uh, you know, to, to store for posterity, I don't understand that, that, that the the logic behind that one evades me. I, I'm not clear exactly what that what what that means. Uh, one of the things is that you know um, you know the only thing I can reasonably arrive at is that perhaps uh, having the teeth and the fingers of Patrice Lumumba maybe for the Belgian colonialists is an indication that uh, he's really gone. And any if if that is in fact the motivation in terms of doing that. And the mere fact that he was killed should have been sufficient or should have sufficed in terms of uh in terms of acknowledging you know that the fact that uh, he's no longer among us, you know, among the living, you know, on the planet. So this tooth in his fingers, you know, holding tooth and fingers of police police um Patrice Lumumba, I don't understand the the rationale behind that, Brother Africa. I really don't. 
it seems to me to be, uh, in addition to morbid, it seems to me uh, to be um, uh, somewhat um, antithetical to what it is to be a human being. I, I don't maybe it's just me, but I, I thought about this long and hard in terms of why would anybody want to kill an individual, then take their slice their their hand, their fingers, their teeth, and you put it you put it in storage for posterity. Number one, why would you want to acknowledge the fact that uh, that you that you kill human beings? Is that something that you should glorify? I I I, I don't understand the logic behind it. Uh, to store these things like a tooth and, and fingers, uh, you know, um, you know, you know, just to say exist. I, I, I it, it to, to me, brother, after it's it's just it's just it's just so um, it's just so bizarre. You know, I'm having a, a very difficult time theoretically, and even understanding. You know, why would anybody do such a thing? So, you know, brother, I'm gonna conclude with that because I really don't know. You know, I'm normally you know have some some insight in terms of you know uh, human behavior in terms of politics, but in this context, I'm hard pressed to even understand why anybody would do such a thing as heinous as it is. Uh, so, brother, Africa, I'll simply conclude. You know, I don't know, and I'll leave it to the next panelists. You know, to uh, come up. With some rationale in terms of why a human being would do such a thing. Well, Anthony, your take on this recent remains being returned back to the people of Congo and the family of Patricia Lumumba. What do you take from that, and what can the world learn from that? Well, uh, it's bizarre. Uh, You know, as uh, Brother Haki, you know, correctly points out, uh, let's see, uh, there's no, uh, rhyme or reason to why they felt that they had to make it impossible, uh, for the Congolese to properly bury, uh, Patrice Lumumba. It seems like they wanted to eradicate his memory so badly that they felt that after torturing him to death, that they had to dismember his body. Now, the question, uh, you know, that comes to mind as I was reading this is, how the hell did his remains end up in Belgium in the first place when he was killed in the Congo? And uh, there's been uh, no acknowledgement of the guilt or, uh, or an investigation or reparations uh, 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 given to the Congo or to Patrice Lumumba's family. Now, the fact that his remains were returned, what's left of them, uh, you know, allows the family, as the article indicates, to have closure, in a sense. Uh, But, uh, you know, but that's a a horrible thing for a family to go through. And, uh, you know, uh, and uh, it seems as if the enemies of uh, African liberty and independence were determined uh, to uh, to make an example of Lumumba uh, by uh, uh, destroying any memory of him. They didn't succeed in that thanks to the perseverance and determination 
of the masses of Congolese people and also people uh, in, uh, uh, throughout Africa and the African diaspora that remembered, uh, you know, uh, Patrice Lumumba's con- uh, contributions uh, to the liberation struggle and to Pan-Africanism. And uh, the thing that struck me is that uh, his article indicated he was 35 when he was assassinated. That means he himself was a youth when he did the bulk of his political work. He was uh, he, he, uh, he was a relatively uh, young person when he made his uh, when, when he was assassinated, and uh, that's the other point, uh, you know, that uh, as was pointed out in uh, the Kwame uh, Ture uh, tribute we had today, uh, Africa is basically a land of youth. Uh, and the overwhelming majority are, are are under 50 years of, of age. And uh, that gives uh, and that gives the urgency of us getting organized uh, for the liberation of Africa because only only when Africa is liberated and unified and socialist, can we demand reparations from our enemies? Demand and get reparations from enemies because they have to be defeated. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Moses, talk to us. What's your take on this returning in the remains of Patrice Lumumba from the Belgium? Well, I think... Um... You know, there's the positive thing is that they are actually returning them. Um, um, that's that's positive, I guess. Um, <laughs> under the circumstances, uh, obviously, you know, um, you know the the situation of, of, of in terms of justice and fair play uh, is not addressed, and uh, I. I I really didn't read this article, and so I'm I'm at a loss as to what to actually get into at this point. Thank you. Okay, and let's see what Miss Eleanor, your analysis on what you took from this article. Well, quite frankly, Brother Africa, he was assassinated, uh, obviously by the Europeans and uh, or by the who knows who, because as the article stated, there was no direct investigation. But frequently, uh, it appears that these political uh, assassinations, you need proof of uh, the agents having committed this atrocity. So the teeth and hands were removed for identification. Now, the reality of Africans uh, around the world having this atrocity happen to them and their ancestors is uh, um, really uh, a phenomenon to itself. 
for example, there are two popular photos in the United States. We see of an African man and his daughter uh, that Harvard University holds and frequently uh, leases out to for Black History Month and other things. And uh, right now, the great-great-granddaughter is suing the university for the return of the photos. But the important thing is that the, the, the world is changing. The colonialists and the, uh, the French and these people, they, as, as Laprise Lumumba said, history will be written by Africa's Africans, and the truth will be told. And this is a new day. We see a changing world. And uh, um, uh, it was just part of the colonial period and needing to certify that he was killed. In addition, I think it was to speak to to the other African uh, leaders at that time in the 1960s. Because remember, in 1958, as the article said, he attended in Ghana the All African People's Conference in newly uh, liberated Ghana in 1958, whose chief demand included the immediate and unconditional accession to independence of all African people and the total um, uh, evacuation or elimination of the foreign forces of of, uh, aggression and oppression uh, stations in Africa. So this was a true pan-Africanist, and uh, he wanted uh, a united Africa, the uh, African, all African people's con- uh, uh, conference, <clears throat> wanted the total evacuation of foreign forces, military forces out of Africa. And uh, they were also opposed to that CFA, that Euro, that European Frank, that oppresses uh, the African uh, economies to this day. So uh, again, I would simply say that at the time he was assassinated, they needed proof of his assassination and that the right person was murdered. And that's why I believe, and it's completely subjective, that uh, his remains were sent to Brussels. Thank you, Sister Brother Maurice, talk to us. Yes. Uh, So it's quite simple, man. These people, that's their culture. When I say these people, I'm specifically speaking about the capitalists, the imperialist people, and and racist uh, people since slavery. They took skin off Nat Turner and made lamps and made shoes out of Nat Turner. They took Sarah Bartman, our sister, and, and put her body on display. They have a history of organ harvesting within the African community, whether it's in the United States of America, Africa itself, anywhere around the world. They took our great revolutionary from Cuba, Che Guevara, and they took they took pictures of his dead body, his corpse, like he was a uh, excuse my language a, a, a fucking animal, a dead animal, a deer, a bear, like they just hunt and 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 he's a trophy. 
uh, a CIA agent kept his watch for a trophy, just like they did Lumumba's uh, too. So this is this is this is their nature. Uh, this is they've been uh, George Washington, the first president of the United States of this uh, United Snakes of America. He utilized uh, our ancestors enslaved Africans' teeth to 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 to, to develop dentures for his mouth. You understand what I'm saying? So these are the type of sadistic people uh, we're dealing with. When you're dealing with a, a, a economic system that don't have no any means of humanistic uh, principles, egalitarian uh, principles, this is what this is what you this is the outcome. This is why you had King Leopold cutting the hands off of amputating the hands off Africans in the Congo. So this is this is their this is what we're dealing with, man. And 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 it's. Uh, it's important more than ever that we got to organize, and I'm literally at this point crying out and begging the youth to join some type of pan-African revolutionary socialist, scientific socialist organization so we can stop bull-jabbing around, get serious, and get going. We done bought enough, I, and I, I'm not going to be long winded, brother. I just want to say this, uh, coming off the heels of Juneteenth, we done bought enough uh, Shea Butter, we done bought enough African uh, dashiki, we done bought enough graphic t-shirts with revolutionary faces on them, we done bought enough uh, 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 music, incense, you name it, scrubs, African scrubs, we can't buy a way out of this oppression, brothers and sisters, we have to organize more than ever, man, and I conclude. Thank you, Brother Maurice. This is Africa on the Move. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, start off with a discussion that falls under our theme today, which is Africa today. We're going to look at different things that are going on in Africa and have a discussion. And we encourage you by joining us when we come back. That's by dialing 323-679-0841. And to also celebrate in memory of the life and legacy of Brother Kwame Kure, we're going to leave this clip for you to listen to in terms of some of the legacies that he left for us that we should understand understand these legacies and follow them. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Moon. The second lesson we wish to speak of is the role of students. Students, of course, have a role in any society, capitalist society, social society, and their role is to institutionalize the values of the given society. Conscious, of course, in a capitalist system, this should be done unconsciously. But students are the spark of revolution. Of course, we make a difference here between revolution and reform. Those who want reform seek to work, I guess, from the top down. Those of us who understand fundamental changes know must come from the bottom up. The students, of course, always work at the point of ideas in a society. Their job is to acquire knowledge, and of course, this knowledge which they acquired is geared by an ideology which tells them what to do with it. So if you're a doctor, instead of curing cancer, you should turn a man to a woman to get money even though she can't make babies. (laughs) That was life. Students, we say, at the point of ideas and the point of values. When one speaks of revolution, one speaks of overturning the values of a given society. If one is not speaking of overturning the values, then one speaks of reform. Thus, one can join the Democratic Party. We're not here to overturn its value. 
But certainly if one is here for revolution and one is here for people's liberation, one would know that a corrupt instrument can never lead a people to liberation. At all. Students then, we say, come to question the values of a society. Of course, in relationship to the values, students, just like anyone in their society, have but two alternatives. Either they accept the values or they reject the values. It's as simple as that. Of course, if they reject the values, they have a responsibility to find alternative values. But either you accept cheating as a student or you reject it. It's as simple as that. Either you accept any value in the society or you reject it. Students, once having rejected a society, bringing together their ideas and their energies and strength to work against these values connected with the masses always give us revolution. Thus, from the 60s, while the reform movement, we were able to see that students, joined with the masses of the people, came to bring a lot of changes to the country. Thus, we must not confuse ourselves. The job of students is clear here. Their job is to spark revolution. Students cannot carry revolution through to the end. The final triumph of revolution must be carried through to the end by the masses, the workers, and the peasants. But students play a crucial role. We say they spark revolution. Certainly, if we did not recognize this, the enemy did. The FBI, before the 60s, did not have informers on college campus. After the 60s, they put an informer on every college campus in the country. Their job was simple, stop any activity at all that runs against the status quo. We say it's a mobilized people who can allow this, because when you're mobilized and fight like an animal, after you get tired and you wind down, then the enemy comes back stronger than he did before. Students spark revolution, and we must work everywhere to have students live up to their responsibility of sparking revolution. Here, of course, it calls for the students properly understanding the role of knowledge. Knowledge has but one purpose. Its purpose is to alleviate the sufferings of humanity. Knowledge has but one purpose. Its purpose is to alleviate the sufferings of humanity. Capitalism is a backward and stupid system. Capitalism is a contemptuous system. Capitalism is a system made on profit. It will make a commodity out of everything. It will take my mother and sell her on a slave block. It will make students acquire knowledge and make them sell their knowledge on the slave block to advance themselves rather than serving humanity. The struggle becomes especially crucial for African students. We say no individual African in this country makes any advance unless it is a result as mass struggle. Any student sitting in any seat in any college in America know that they didn't gain that seat through their own individual talents, but only through the struggles of the masters of their people. Thus, that seat belongs to the people. The knowledge they acquire there must be used for the people, otherwise they have already betrayed the people and have repeated errors. You're listening to Brother Kwame Duray, Lesson from the Sixties, and his question on the Royal Students. We are acknowledging his birthday or Earth Day today's today, and we'll make our transition with that backdrop on Africa today. Recently, it was reported that in Uganda, that was uh, the founding of um uh, gold reserves that may be valued as high as $128 trillion, $12.8 trillion of value. What does the discovery of the finding of those deposits, gold deposits, will mean to Africa and African people in Uganda and throughout the world? Looking at the history of Africa and the present state that it is today, Brother Aki, if you had to podcast, uh, if you had to um, podcast 
a, a, a future of the impact of discovering the discovery of this these deposit gold deposit. What kind of impact you think it may have on the people in Uganda and Africa in general? Well, I mean, if if if, if managed properly, uh, it could have a a, a, a very uh, tremendous impact on the uh, the uh, the economy of of, um, of Uganda. Ultimately, the whole the whole continent, if you if you manage it sufficiently. But the problem is this, brother Africa. When you talk about those kind of those kind of gold deposits, one one, one of the things is that you still have to you have you still have to sell those 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 deposits on on the commodities market. And as I understand, the commodities market is still controlled by Western multinationals, and so they in effect set the price. So one of the things that if Uganda goes by market prices, then the reality is that they're going to be giving the giving the the, the short the, the the, the, the short, they'll be given a short sale. In other words, uh, what 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 the, what the gold is really worth, based upon an open market, not a commodities market, but based upon an open market, is quite different from what they receive based upon the commodities market. As I alluded to before, commodities market is set by Western multinationals. So it's key upon it's key to Ugandan officials to understand the, the wealth they have in their hand and to be willing to say, you know, to the people of Uganda, listen, we have this wealth. But rather than to give it freely to the West, you know, at, at minimum, at minimum, at minimum uh, uh, cost, we will hold on to it. Because one of the things we're very, very clear on, the, the, the value of that gold will increase with time. And that's particularly so when we think about the fact that capitalism is in decline. So this fiat currency currently that rules the world, which the United States is, is, is the head of, this, this fiat currency, which is backed by nothing, it's just, it's just paper, it's not backed by anything, uh, that's, that uh, that uh, protocol is on its way out, and so what's going to happen is the the emergence of an economy uh, with 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 currency, but the currency is going to have to be backed by something. Historically, gold and silver has always been viable metals in terms of you know, utilization for you know, monetary purposes. So if the if so if if the if the money is not there now, in the future, it's assured that the price of gold will actually increase, but the but the, the Ugandan officials have to understand that they one have to be patient, and secondly, they have to not allow themselves to be overcome with greed. Because historically, one of the things is that you know, uh, like a hundred hundreds of tons of gold is, snuck, is stolen out of Africa every year. Uh, so clearly, you have these informal markets, these informal channels that exist in Africa, and so you got these corrupt individuals, which are most likely politicians, who are facilitating these, this, this, this transfer of gold from Africa to the West. And so, while the Western nations increase their gold stockpiles, Africa, uh, uh, as and, and when you look at uh, the, the overwhelming number of states, actually gold reserves are actually being greatly decreasing. So you have some African states with a tremendous amount of gold, and other African states with little gold in, in terms of their reserves. So it's coming upon you know nations like Uganda now that they realize it has these gold deposits to say to the rest of the world, listen. Particularly to, to Africa, to say to Africa, listen, we have these reserves. We realize it's in our best interest to make sure that th- these reserves, the wealth from these reserves, are used to the benefit of all of Africa, not just Ugandan officials. Because with 120 trillion dollars, certainly that is enough money to empower, you know, uh, 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 the, the Africa two times over, two or three times over. 
so clearly it's, it's a question in terms of political vision or whether or not uh, the Ugandans, you know, the Ugandan officials understand, you know, the, uh, the, the power they have at hand. Uh, and, and equally as important is to understand that Western nations want to have access to that gold. And they're going to resort to, resort to whatever, effort, whatever effort they have to, to resort, resort to in order to have access to that goal. And we should be, we should be there should be no, no illusions. Of course, the corruption, they're going to try to facilitate corruption. They're going to try to bribe people. Uh, they might even assassinate some folks in terms of getting their way. They might employ a multitude of strategies in terms of getting their hand on that goal. But uh, uh, it's important that the, the, the African leadership in Uganda uh, persevere and understand that no matter what the West does in terms of trying to get their hand on that goal, if they're not treated fairly on the commodities market to hold that goal, to use the wealth to build Uganda, ultimately the West of Africa, which is in all, which is which is in Africa's interest. So that's my view in terms of that whole question around around gold gold deposits, brother Africa. Thank you, brother Haki. Let me bring you down, brother Anthony. Give me your take on this particular. Discovery of this gold deposit in Uganda, Brother Anthony. Okay, I think it shows the wealth of uh, resources that exist. And uh, I think, uh, as Haki correctly pointed out, uh, capitalists will resort to anything to get access to that gold. Which is why I think is uh, I think it, it shows the importance of Africans getting organized to achieve Pan-Africanism even more because it is only a united and liberated Africa that can ensure that those resources, the gold, cobalt, uh, other minerals, are used for Africa's benefit. Uganda is not strong enough or big enough to de- uh, to de- uh, to defend itself against the rapacious approach by imperialists. And uh, you know, and I think it's uh, it, it could be a positive development, but if uh, if Africa does uh, does unite unite does not unite and organize uh there could be a uh there could be a a, a great deal of uh, strife over control of this wealth thank you brother brother Moses talk to us well in terms of uh newfound wealth um they, my understanding is it does belong to the state. Um, the mine, the gold mine involved. Mine, at least that's my understanding at this moment. And so, therefore, it's a question of political parties and uh, how conscious the people are, and the need to be organized and to have people who are interested in the the masses of the people enjoying the wealth. And and not just for the handful of people, and so having said all that, I mean, you have to, the concrete government in, in Uganda. Uh, uh, I don't know if they're uh, 
they're up to the task. Uh, I, I, I haven't heard anything about revolutionary government in Uganda, uh, um, but I'm not, I'm not, I don't claim to be authority on Africa. Uh, uh, but uh, this, this, this wealth is, you know, it's like Venezuela or Cuba or any any country who's, you know, you you have to take control of your your economy. Politics determines economics, and so you have to be politically organized. I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, and we now go to Sister Eleanor. Yes, politics determines economics, and we can see that Uganda was uh, penalized for allegedly having not uh, said the source of the gold. It was penalized, sanctioned. It was actually, I'm sorry, the correct term is sanctioned by the U.S. And so as the fellow analysts have said, uh, they're not receiving the market value and in effect, uh, bolstering other economies like Dubai, which, as the article said, purchasing great amounts of gold so that now U.S. citizens or people from the U.S. and other European countries are doing gold jaunts, uh, vacationing to Dubai just to purchase gold jewelry and that kind of thing, 22 and 18 karat gold jewelry. So... Uh, the reality is uh, the uh, economy and managing the economy, as Brother um, uh, Haiti said, it's the difference between market value and the uh, commodity and it being viewed as, as a commodity. So as it was already stated, that the loser was Uganda and the Ugandan people. Uh, but again, in neo-colonialist-run uh, governments, you see uh, the few getting rich and their families, you know, being multi-millionaires. Um, one other article we read, you saw uh, the uh, uh, annual income of the residents being two or three thousand dollars a year. And the president has uh, a prime minister has a hundred and thirty million a valued wealth of a hundred and thirty million dollars, and his daughter buying a twenty five million dollar mansion in l a so we see the inequity, but what we're having to see change is uh to organize a the a u and to collectively organize nation states and for them to reject giving uh, any status to Zionist Israel uh, because they're looking for votes. And we just see this as a, another atrocity, uh, a waste of, uh, of resources. And uh, if it were filling the coffers of the Ugandan economy, it would create some value. But as the fellow analyst said, uh, it's not. And we see right now, for as Maurice said about Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro has been brought up to the world courts for his handling of the coronavirus and allowing 600,000 Brazilians die 
in not properly handling uh, the uh, urgency of this pandemic and uh, as a human rights violation. But the United States is exempt from those venues. And the fact that they sanctioned rather than purchasing the gold at market rate was to our disadvantage. And uh, the Asians who were uh, smart enough to do so, uh, the other two nations escape me right now. But uh, they are um, bolstering their economies through the tourist industry with the um, purchasing the raw gold, the raw material as a commodity and making jewelry and charging um, not market price uh, in terms of Western prices, but definitely prices far higher than um, uh, than what Uganda is receiving, and they're building their economies through this uh, process. So we see inequity uh, continuing to be a problem, and I see the uh, uh, currency that African economies are using. So as we begin to see a change in currency and the development of this new big money, maybe we'll begin to see some changes in the African economies. And uh, that's it. Uh, thank you um, again um, right. for uh, allowing me to speak on this subject. But this is an atrocity. You have all the money in the world, as we often say, but you can't reap it. You have the, all, what money used to be valued as. You know, gold was the most value. It's still the most valuable, I guess, other than platinum and some other metals that are valued at a greater rate and rare metals. But you see the difference in the, how gold is sold out of the South African economy under apartheid versus being sold in the 21st century under uh, uh, the uh, African economy of Uganda being so vastly different, and they're just not getting the the true value of the goal, as the article stated. Thank you. Thank you. This is Eleanor Bebamavis with the discovery of this mineral deposit of gold in Uganda. Will it be a blessing for Africa and people of Uganda? Or will you find the West laid by you guys come and send our military boys and our thugs to come and take it? Yes, yes. And I just want to say something that I didn't uh, state earlier. Uh, since Eleanor, I'm uh, happy to hear your voice. Um, I heard that you stated earlier um, you was uh, coming out uh, being released from the hospital. So I just hope uh, everything is well with you and your health. Um, and and I look forward to continuing to hear your voice. Um, in response to your question, Brother Africa, unfortunately, um, you know, this is it, it, you would you would assume it's out. It's it's, it's African uh, property. This gold was found in Africa, so therefore, yes, it is a blessing, right? But unfortunately, we're not organized enough to control the blessing. Um, you know, let, let's let's look back at 2019 and 2020. Stated that 1.9 billion dollars worth of gold was exported out of Uganda. One, I'm sorry, 1.4 billion was uh, was uh, um, 
export it to the South Korea. South Korea is is is, is sincerely controlled by America or by the West. $28.7 million was of worth of gold was exported to Hong Kong in those previous years, previous year. So, um, when you, 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 you know, when you look at, when you look at what happened with the gold previously in Uganda, it, it's going to end up with the West. You know, there's a European, a Frenchman who controlled many ports, uh, on West Africa. We don't have control of our mass, and and, and and look at Uganda. Let's look at it. Uganda is smaller than South Africa. South Africa has gold and many other uh, diamonds and other minerals. Uh, Uganda is smaller than um, Ethiopia. Um, I'm sorry, uh, than, than the Sudan. Sudan has gold deposits of gold. Tanzania, all through Africa, we have gold. And these countries that I named are, are, are larger than Uganda. Uganda is, is small uh, in comparison to the other. Uh, countries within Africa, so you know it's just you no know, nah, man. We don't have control. If we if, let alone, we need to control the uranium mine in the Congo. We need to get <laughs> we need to get to that because that's what what that's where the weapons are being made and coming out of. And we have Cotan and Cobalt developing drones and uh, these uh, new weapons. And I and I say this and conclude, man. Every time Africans uh, we get strong. Example with, with when we had our Zulu wars against uh, Europeans, they came back with a Gatling gun. Uh, we came back with a, a, a side guy, a, 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 a knife, a solid knife, if you will, or sword. But they came back with with a, with a Gatling gun that took out more people. Even in uh, even during our you know revolt, revolts or in the Civil War, they you know we was gaining uh leverage but it came back with the cannonball. You see what I'm saying? Um, you know, with Native Americans, they was probably kicking they you know, not probably was kicking ass for 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 for, for a minute, but they came back with a cannonball. So these these what these people do or with a musket. They they understand development. And that's what they that's that's what that's what that's what they doing man with, with these uh industrialization, control of resources, control of military if you got the military, you got the resources, and that's it. And we are continuing being, uh, you know, outflanked because we are unorganized, and we're not, we're we're not organized, man. We're not studying, we're not reading, we're not having these discussions on a daily basis that we're having tonight. So yeah, man. Unfortunately, nope. This is it's a it's a blessing for Africa, but it's not going to go back to Africa. It's gone. It's going out of Africa. Thank you, Brother Maurice, and your panelists. As we talk about the theme tonight, Africa today, one of the current realities that we must admit is that we are a product of the past. Now, when you look at the past history of Africa and you talk about the sham independence that we were so-called really given to, quote-unquote, that was an interesting video we were advocating our listening audience to check out on YouTube called How France Still Control West Africa. And we started off with Brother Anthony. How is it that Anthony, how is the Anthony that France still control West Africa? What is the fundamental difference between prior before so called independence to the reality today? Brother Anthony, what did you learn from this particular video? What I learned from this particular video 
is that France controls Africa through indirect rule. In other words, France, when it colonized Africa, and it had several colonies within Africa, it it took down its flag, but it remained, it maintained control over the economy of these countries. And, uh, and it did that through a mechanism called the French community. And uh, it was a voluntary uh, setup, allegedly. But uh, one, one country voted against remaining within the, uh, the French community. That was Guinea. And uh, Guinea was made an example of. When the French uh, left Guinea, they took everything they could out of Guinea. Uh, down to uh, office supplies, light bulbs, etc., and uh, they uh, they uh, they didn't leave anything for for, for uh, the 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 masses in Guinea to work with, and uh, you know, and uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Ghana helped uh, Guinea. Uh, you know, during this uh, difficult period when it got its independence from France. But by making an example of Guinea, uh, the other other countries that made up the French colonies in Africa voted to stay in the French community. And it was through this mechanism, uh, to make a long story short, that France... Retain control over the economy and the military of these countries. So, uh, so, so these countries went from uh, 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 straight up colonialism to neocolonialism, and that how and that is how France has maintained its dominance in Africa to this day through a system of indirect rule, which is all neocolonialism is. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, uh, a system in which uh, puppets have extensive control, but the, uh, but the puppeteer controls everything. You know, thank you about that. So your brother Haki just said we won the world, but he like France walk away with all the rewards. What have you learned from this particular article, article or video on how France controlled West Africa and its 13 so-called nations, brother Haki? Well, I think it's I think it's 15, brother Africa, uh, or part of Equal Office. But anyway, um. You know, to piggyback on what something uh, Anthony was saying, uh, one of the things, you know, because of Ghana's stand, uh, one of the things the French immediately did was to sabotage economy. And the way they did that is similar to what they did in Nicaragua, was that they printed up false banknotes. 
By creating mm-hmm. false banknotes, they elevated inflation to such a level that essentially what it did was destroy the economy. And uh, so other Western states began to realize, uh, particularly states under influence of, of, of France, realized that if you buck the system, that France would undermine the economy. And, it's, and it has paid dividends because even today a lot of West African states are really afraid in terms of uh, uh, irritating uh, the, Fran- the French. Uh, which is unfortunate because in order to be free, you've got to understand that irritating your enemy is just part of the course, and you've got to be able to withstand that regardless. Also, one of the things, uh, you know, one of the things, um, you know, when there's this recent law that came into to effect by France which says that, uh, you know, the, uh, the central bank of, of uh, these West African, these 15 West African states, uh, which includes the Zaire, I mean the Congo, uh, their reserves will no longer be uh, um, placed in the, the French Treasury. Now, on the surface, that sounds good, uh, but but the problem is, uh, you know, um, historically, you know, what what happened was that the 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 the, 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 this, this, the, the West African state currency will be put into the French Treasury. The France would then take that that, um, that money and give a small portion back to West African states. They would call it aid, in which they would attach, you know, uh, they would attach, uh, you know, various uh, uh, service charges in terms of providing this aid for West African states. In the process, keeping Africa, particularly West, West African states, uh, in, uh, in not only indebted but also to keep them uh, uh, economically marginalized to ensure that they won't be in a position to actually make their own decisions economically to the to the benefit of, of West African states. Now, when we talk about in terms of, you know, the more, thing, the more things change, the more they remain the same, this, this policy that was imp- recently implemented by the French is very, very interesting for a multitude of reasons. Uh, one of the things is that, you know, they're talking about a currency change. As a matter of fact, it should have been changed by now. This is called it the CIFA, which is the current uh, 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 West African currency in many states, to change it to ECO, which is short for ECOWAS, which is represents the 15 African states uh, under the French domination. Uh, interesting enough, by changing that name to changing the currency from CIFA to ECO, ECO doesn't change the value of the value of the currency, which means that the currency of uh, the currency of those West African states will have no real value relative to Western currencies. So, in other words, for Western those 15 West West African states to borrow, I mean to to borrow, you know, to fund their economies, they still have to use Western currencies in terms of Making making loans possible, so reality is changing the name from CIFA to ECO doesn't change anything. It's just uh, colonialism by a different name. Now, one of the, also one of the things you talk about is this new policy by the French. You talk about the French representatives will no longer be visible at the Central African uh, boardrooms. So the so so the so the exploitation will be practiced, but not in not in a manner in which you can actually see, uh, you know, French people, French individuals in the actual African boardrooms. Uh, they'll be done more from 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 uh from uh, uh from a uh, uh from 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 country to country. In other words, in order for Africans Africans in the boardroom in these banks in Africa, they have to keep what the, the French their French counterparts informed as to any business moves that they make, any economic windfalls, any kind of thing that affects the economy. They have to notify the French, which which is the epitome of, of colonialism. And also, you know. Um, uh, one of the things, you know, I, I think also now one of the things, this, now, now this agreement by the French, you know, is it, very interesting because one of the things it, it stipulates 
that this current agreement uh, that was put forth by the French, if the French, in their estimation, feel that this reason is not to French benefit, to French benefit, to France benefit, they can cancel it. So they go back to the old way in terms of actually we have you know the French people in the African boardrooms on the continent where they go back to give them 50% of their resources back to the French treasury. That's very, very interesting. So when we talk about colonialism and you talk about real change, you seriously can't talk about change if they're talking about you know, the part of the stipulation in the contract and that agreement is that if we don't like the way things the French say, the French, French representatives say, we don't like the way things are going, then we, can, we have the right to go back to where things were before that is that is a quintessential definition of, of neocolonialism, and that's and the mere fact that that, that African leaders would, would would accept such such nonsense, I mean, speaks to the kind of uh, 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 perhaps the kind of powerlessness uh, you know African leaders feel in the face of of French colonialism. Uh, it seems to me you know that kind of indignity, brother Africa, regardless of the potential repercussions from French, simply shouldn't be tolerated. If, if if they would say to me as a head of a state that listen, I'm going to listen. Here's a stipulation saying that if we don't like the way things are going, if we're not benefiting sufficiently as a country, meaning France, that we have a right to go back to the old way to redouble our efforts in terms of better exploiting you again, I would tell them go to hell. You know, rather than to con- con- concede, you know, uh, on, on that level in terms of giving it to the French, you know, in terms of undermining my economy, my position is that listen. You know what? I have to organize my people. We have to, you know, we, if we have to go to war, then that's what we have to do. Because given the reality that France is so, uh, so, so hard pressed to engage in military in military operations on the continent, given it's catching hell in the Sahel section of Africa, it's not in a strategic position to actually, you know, uh, spread its forces thin. So therefore, it's less likely to concede to to engage in a fight. Because the economy of France is simply not there, and, and they're losing a lot of money in terms of their operations in the Seychelles uh, region of Africa in terms of maintaining French uh, French colonial domination. So clearly, under these terms of the Africa, there's no way in hell I could accept that. But nonetheless, a lot of African leaders have accepted that, and so I'm hard pressed to understand wh- why which why would you do that? I mean, is your love of power that's so great that you're willing to undermine your very interest, you know, to the French? by simply even engaging in, 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 in justifying a stipulation that says we can go back to exploitation uh, as, as usual, you know, if things don't go our way. So, so for me, that's fundamentally a problem. Uh, now, you know, also, Brother Africa, you know, um, now keep in mind that when we talk about, you know, the, the, the currency change, uh, you know, from the, uh, from the, from the CIFA uh, to the ECO, keep in mind the ECO is going to be paid to the euro. So, so in other words, this is sort of a positive thing that the the value of the eco is going to have some of a value, simply because it's pegged to to the euro. That's partly good, but the bigger problem is that you know even though it's pegged to the euro, uh, because of it, because when you talk about commodity prices and, and and setting those prices, because Africans don't control those prices. Uh, it means that any kind of business activity Africans engage in, if their currency is paid to the euro, all it means is that African states can pay a, a higher share of their of their of their resources, uh, you know, and in terms of um, and in terms of you know in terms of well, let me put it another way: foreign exchange is important in terms of conducting businesses. 
if in fact the eco is 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 if the eco is pegged to the euro, it means that the African African states will pay a a, a silver amount a silver amount of money just to maintain the, the, the kind of reserves they need in terms of doing business. So on the one hand, while it strengthens the, the, the value of the African currency in terms of the eco, at the same token, they have to have more money have to be in more money more resources have to be used in terms of the the, 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 the kind of reserves they need in terms of being a viable entity. In other words, if they don't have if they exert if they if they exert reserves, exchange reserves, or the foreign currency reserves are not up to par, then it hampers them in terms of their ability to actually do business. So reality is that when you when you look at this this, this arrangement by the French, nothing has really changed. It all is all formed. The reality is nothing has really changed. And so I'm so I'm hoping that at some point African leaders begin to recognize that and begin to resist and to fight back and say no 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 we're not going to contend. With, with, with this kind of inequality. But it can only happen to the extent that African states are unified and understand, you know, that uh, the fight is against the West and that it has to be a united fight in terms of putting an end to the systematic inequalities. But one final thing, brother, I want to add, brother Africa, in terms of the transfer of wealth, you know, uh, from West Africa to France. When, when you look at it in terms of the overall transfer of wealth from African states into trans, French treasuries, whether we're talking about uh, uh, currencies directly given to the, put in, in French treasuries, or we talk about changing currency from from the from the from the eco, I'm sorry, sorry from the CFA to the eco, the bottom line is the transfer of wealth from African states to France is is is, is, is enormous. In fact, it's estimated that when you look at it in terms of the amount of money actually transferred from West African states or so 15 African West African states, including the Congo. To France, we're talking about 50, we talk about amounts 56 times what the West, in particular the United States, spent toward the Marshall Plan to rebuild uh, Western Europe. So clearly, Brother Africa, African African leaders have to understand the, the nature of the equality and take a stand and say, no, 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 exploitation ends here, and if we have to fight, then so be it. But at this point, at this point, uh, people allegiance in Africa, the African leadership allegiance. Uh, to, to 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 making money is 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 at a higher premium than actually f- actual freedom. So clearly, much has changed. But and if thinking of African leaders doesn't change, then the reality is that the, the neocolonialism that's being currently being practiced by the French isn't going to go anywhere. Doctor Haki, Brother Baris, what did you take on the video? How France controlled West Africa? Yes, yes, two things. Um, well, the first thing is, it was it was interested in the video that they point out uh, neocolonialists. Uh, you know, uh, Sister Eleanor touched on 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 one of them, Omar Bongo. Um, he was a neocolonialist. That's that's the guy of of Gabon. Uh, Ga- uh, Gabon. I hope I'm pronouncing that country correct. Uh, Gabon. You know, he was the people was suffering. Africans, the masses are suffering. The, the the economy suck suck like all you know all African economies and infrastructures poor, but this guy was getting 130 million dollars, and it, you know now his son is in power now, just like what we see with the Kabilas and the Congo or, or what we see with Kenyatta and and, and Kenya. So it's, 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 it's like Malcolm said, it's the same ongoing game going on all the time. 
Um, these 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 are the guys that need to be defeated. These neo-colonialists, neo-colonialists and these capitalists. And one thing that I want to point out that the video did not mention was in terms of Libya, Muammar Gaddafi. Now, Libya, uh, from my understanding, was uh, um, um, colonized or by Italy. But Libya is surrounded by 10, if not, you know, between 9 and 10 uh, French-controlled countries around Libya. These, and, you know, these, these countries we're talking about. And we all know what Muammar Gaddafi was trying, trying to do, uh, was trying to unify uh, the African currency, make, have one currency across Africa that was backed by what? Backed by gold. We just finished talking about gold. And it's no uh, coincidence that he was assassinated and taken out during uh, Barack Obama's term of presidency. And this is, you know, every this is no coincidence, man. Everything is, is connected. Now, can you imagine if if he was successful of unifying and one one currency on the Africa, uh, pan, a sense of pan Africanism, that would eliminate this Frank and this eliminate you know this 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 uh, CFA or ELF currency, whatever you want, however you want to term that, uh, term, you know, whatever terminology you want to use for this. But yeah, it's, 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 it's the same ongoing game going on all the time. Africa must unite more than ever, man, and that's what you know, Kwame Nkrumah. Sekou Toure was attempting to, to try to do uh, uh, President Mali, all of these, uh, uh, NASA and Egypt. This is what these guys, Lumumba, was attempted to try to do. We don't have that in Africa today. What we have is Bongo, Amar Bongos, Kabilas, and, and, and neo-colonialists. That's, that's what we have today in Africa, man. Until they get out of the way, that's when we. That's when we. You know, we don't have to worry about France controlling these countries, and this and that. But like I said, that can only be done through class, through through class struggle, um, through through, through politicizing, educating the military, grassroots, organizing on the ground. Like Kwame uh, race said, you cannot build socialism from the top, top from the top down. It has to be built from from the ground on up. Can we get that understanding? That's when we can get some true liberation and some true freedom going on here. That come from Brother Maurice. I thank you, Sister Eleanor. Eleanor, your take. Well, um, the French economy is dependent upon its exploitation of Africa and its former African colonies. And it's dependent on the cooperation of their, the neo-colonial leaders, whether in Cameroon, uh, in Gabon, in the uh, Central Republic. That's why uh, the trophy takers, whether it be Che or whether it be whomever, they're like hunters, you know, as Brother Marie said. They take trophies of, our, of bodies of human beings. But the real reality is that in terms of uh, the uh, uh, African economy, it's going to have to take uh, some kind of demand that the nations themselves demand um, that uh, for their commodities they be paid with a a currency, a reliable currency, whether it's the yen, 
whether it's whatever currency that is. People trade currencies also because obviously the CFA isn't working. And I don't think, as Brother uh, Haki said, changing the name of the currency will not change its value. So if you have an undervalued currency and you're fortunate enough to have world commodities, whether gold or cobalt or whatever, you must begin that you receive payment in in a currency, whether it's euros or British pound sterling or U.S. dollars or yen that is recognized globally at a greater value. So I think if you begin to do something, see that kind of demand made, we'll see some economic growth uh, in terms of uh, the former French colonies. You know, as the article said, that France would be uh, number 15 or something in world economy, but it's so high up there because of its exploitation of African wealth. And for the sister law, Brother Moses, what can we learn from how France controls many West African countries today? Because after all, this is part of Africa's reality today. Brother Moses. Sorry about that, you know, Brother Moses. Your mic is now open. Go ahead, Brother Moses. Can you hear me? Yes, can you hear we can. Me? Okay, we're faced with neocolonialism. It's a new form of doing the same old thing, uh, exploiting the resources of the country, country, taking out the resources, and uh, and, um, maybe returning some commodities or something that you want to sell for a a jacked-up price. But, um, you know, we... We have to be. We have to be organized. We have to be conscious. Um, um, we have to. We have to look at the the the. We have to be for scientific socialism, and that's. And when I talk about scientific socialism, we 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 talking about you actually looking out for the interests of the masses of the people, the working people, and uh, and like. COVID-19 and the science around that, um, it's not an obvious thing. Um, It takes a lot of research and analysis. And so we have political science. And I'm saying some of these things are not so obvious, but but, um, we need to be organized into political parties uh, uh, that represent the interests of a class. And, uh, And... we have to create the conditions that are necessary for revolution, which uh, um, is a subjective factor. Is the only thing that's that's not right. The objective conditions are right, but the subjective factor is, is not together. And so we have to educate and politicize. And um, this the French, the French. We have to we have to show show what imperialism is and how it's just like you know this article is doing this uh, video is doing we have to explain what's really going on and 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 sooner or later if enough people are united and organized 
they can do something about it. And um, but that's a lot easier said than done. And it's and we have a lot of time, and, and we can do more than one thing at a given moment in time. We can we can be organized in more than one organization at a given time. And, and um, and it's because there's a lot to be done. And uh, anyway, I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, and we'd like to thank all our listening audience for allowing us to come to their home this evening where we speak truth to the powerless and the powerful. This is Africa on the Moon. Our theme tonight is Africa Today. We will continue the discussion when we come back from our revolutionary culture break, and we will start off with a discussion on China and this whole myth of debt. So, Stay tuned. Don't you go nowhere. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the move. Punish me, 
you for the punishment. You could do my punishment. You kill and the punishment. I read down for book you. I see some myself you. Well, well, you. Well, well. Well, well. Well, well, you. Well, well. Well, well. The true I want to get you. If I deny you. Punish me, the kill and the punish me, the kill and the punish me. I read down for book you, I see some myself you, I see some myself you. Well, 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 you, well, 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 well. Long time ago, long, long time ago.
relationship to Africa and they are putting Africa in a financial position of perpetual debt like the West has historically done. So we're going to talk about that right now with our political panelists and analysts and see what lessons have we learned if this is a myth or a reality based on a real interesting documentary talking about Africa and Africa, China, and this whole question of debt. Uh, we start off with Brother Haki. We'll let you lead us off, Brother Haki. Uh, can you speak to this narrative or what about if doing business with China? <laughs> yes, go ahead, Brother Haki. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, a, it's actually, Brother Africa, with respect to China and the debt trap, it's actually, a, in my perception, in my view, is a mixed bag. Uh, one of the things, there's no question that uh, China has played a tremendous role in terms of assisting Africa in terms of in, in creating its infrastructure. So when we talk about $340 billion investments by China, that's by far more than the West is willing to, in, to invest in, 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 in Africa, even though historically the West did a very good job in terms of investing in African infrastructure prior to the 60s. But after the 60s, they realized in order for imperialism to be effective, they have to decease with infrastructure, infrastructure building in Africa. And as a consequence, uh, when we see the kind of uh, economic policies uh, uh, created to detriment Africa, uh, took off during the time of the 1960s, and that was in, in part due to the fact that uh, the West saw an opportunity in terms to enhance you know, imperialism and to reap the benefits in terms of uh, economic, uh, economic gains. All, but the thing is, when we talk about infrastructure repair in terms of China, China's willingness to, to provide infrastructure, you know, one of the things, you know, uh, as I looked at before, you know, the, the, the West refuses to, to engage in infrastructure, infrastructure building in Africa. Currently, the EU has um, at least expressed a desire in terms of increasing investments in Africa. But the investments they're talking about has nothing to do with infrastructure. It has to do in terms of trade, which is ironic because when you talk about trade, as long as African states don't control the commodity prices, Trade can only benefit the West, so it's no benefit to Africa if, in fact, the EU increases its investments in Africa 200, 200 plus billion dollars for trade. That's no. That's, what Africa needs is the infrastructure development in terms of potentially being in a position to actually create set prices by, in terms, being able to determine you know, the, 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 the quantity of, uh, of, of, uh, of, of you know, products or resources leaving the country. Uh, and that can only be done to the to, to the extent that you know, when you talk about uh, when you talk about infrastructure, you can make those kind of uh, you can make those kind of commitments because you control the resources. You know what what, what you're allocating to the resources, how much resources are going off, and so forth and on. So infrastructure makes that possible. So China's done a, a very good job in terms of that 340 billion dollars terms of investing in Africa infrastructure. Now, one of the things we have to be very clear about when I talk about this mixed bag, one of the things. When we talk about the kind of loans advocated by by China that come essentially meet the, the the peace talks about that's three different 
three different three different uh, category of loans. One is zero interest. The second is concessional loans, and third is commercial loans. Now the thing is that when we when we talk about concessional loans, China would say, well, listen, given the economic hardship of a particular country, we'll give you loans, you know, at a discounted rate because we understand the struggles that you're going going through, and certainly that's very very, very laudable. But most but most of the loans China give are commercial loans, and those commercial loans are in step with 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 prices established, you know, you know, you know, by the by the global economic system. And so, in that context, so when we talk about commodity prices, uh, those commercial loans are designed in part to respond of those uh, commodity prices. So, in that context, in terms of potentially overcharging Africa, in terms of you know for loans. That is very, very, a very, very real, a very, very real concern, and one of the things that PLO Lumumba keeps keeps talking about, where why he appreciates in terms of uh, China's investment in Africa, he understands. But the same token, when we talk about this this this, this capitalist mindset, and keep in mind, uh, um, uh, China is partly capitalistic. Uh, keep in mind that, given this reality, the temptation to actually gain economic at the expense of others. Exist, and we cannot be naive and think that you know the potential in terms of exploitation doesn't exist simply because of China. Having said that, it's important that uh, it's important that that Africa understands that. Listen, in order for you to really you know uh, have a, a really a real uh, a real uh, reciprocal uh, have a relationship that's real reciprocal, a relationship that's equally beneficial to both China and Africa, then Africa has to become much more politically organized. In terms of making the demands, in terms of you know uh, negotiating you know these 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 loans you know for infrastructure development, uh, uh, anything short of that uh, you know uh, Africa stands to lose. Now keep in mind, uh, Africa, I mean China, by no chance is, is is solely solely nationalistic. I mean even though it has an element of nationalism, uh, it's certainly nothing compared to say the the philosophy of Chiang Kai Shek, who would say maybe you know who would probably uh, ex- execute. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, these commercial loans in a, in a manner which was more um, exploitive uh, than the current Central Committee of Africa as it currently exists, and so therefore we, the Central Committee of China understands in terms of the the, the, the objective reality, economic reality in terms of Africa, uh, they understand in the long term if you treat treat Africa fairly, then it's in your long term economic interest to treat Africa fairly because it's just a question of time. Before Africa acquires the political, the political uh, organization it needs in terms of moving forward, and China understands that because it's the Central Committee. I think if Shanghai Czech was in power, uh, I think it would be a considerable effort in terms of you know continuing the under the the, the under the uh, development of Africa, you know, established by you know by, by you know Western uh, by Western uh, norms. So I think that this current Chinese Central Committee understands the inherent dangers in terms of being too nationalistic. And, and, and in terms of your business dealing, because you know ultimately, you know it could come back to haunt you. So, having said that, brother Africa, I'll simply conclude. Thank you, brother Anthony. Give me your understanding, your take on what you learned from China-Africa relationship, and is a good one based upon what you have uh, critiqued. Uh I would say, based upon uh, this uh, video, and uh, you know, uh, and uh, my knowledge of Africa, that um, it 
China's relationship with Africa is not as detrimental as it is with uh, the imperialist forces of the world. I'll put it that way. I think the ultimate solution is uh, Pan-Africanism, that Africa needs to, uh, needs to get better organized and unite. Uh, because right now, uh, Africa is dealing with the world as 54 non, uh, non-viable politically or economically uh, economic states. Whereas if Africa was united as one, it could uh, it, it it could speak with a much louder voice in terms of uh, its political dealings and uh, you know its relations with the rest of the world. That is why I think it's important that Africa seeks political unification and not merely uh, economic accommodation with uh, Chinese or any other bloc. But, uh, you know, uh, but uh, China's uh, uh, purpose in Africa differs somewhat from the imperialists. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, so I think it's uh, the uh, positive that African countries are seeking to diversify their economic relationships. But the real solution is uh, political uh, unification, which would put Africa in a much stronger position uh, to uh, to negotiate uh, be, uh, better deals for infrastructure development and to become a manufacturer instead of uh, your overall materials. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And Brother Maurice, share with us your understanding on the relationship between China and Africa, if it's a good relationship. Yes, yes. Uh, first off, when I, you know, Look at when I was um, start looking at the video. The first picture that comes, the image comes in my head is that picture with W. E. B. Du Bois and Chairman Mao. They're conversating and smiling. They laughing. I don't know what they are laughing or they are smiling about, but that image. Anytime that conversation of Africa and China uh, comes up, I just think about that image of of Chairman Mao and W. E. B. Du Bois. They just smiling man and you know and this is when Ghana was strong and 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 and, and you know I have to concur and agree with with brother Hackey and brother Anthony man like we was already doing this in the 60s man like when when Krumah came into power into Ghana there was there really was no educational institutions there was no medical facilities there was no infrastructure and Krumah built that and the people uh pan african um, movement of that era, they built that up. Like uh, I think it was Brother Anthony said, like Nkrumah's, uh government helped helped uh, to ra- to raise government when French took the light bulb, toilet paper, everything, and and the favor was returned 
when uh when 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 um when a new home when uh or when I'm sorry when Ray made Nkrumah co-president of of Guinea, but in in reference to the video, one thing that caught me I was surprised to see that it was a Bloomberg news production that was putting this information out, uh showing China China in a good light if you will because you know Bloomberg. <laughs> His own, you know, it's Bloomberg. I just say that their headquarters is in New York and in London and Hong Kong. So it was just, you know, and they own, you know, from my understanding, they it's a capitalist media corporation. And for them to put China in the good light, that was interesting. But, you know, as for like the, as for the relationship that um, Africa have with China, I mean, dealing with this neocolonialism running rampant in Africa, I think it is a positive when it becomes when it comes to infrastructures being, being still being built in parts of Africa because, you know, prior to independence in the sixties or where we are and even in present day time, you, you, you really don't have no infrastructure in in, in, in in most of Africa. You have mining, you have roads or railways that take the minerals to the ports. Yeah, you have that in Africa, but and you look at the, the infrastructure in these 35 uh, countries that China is involved in that the video uh, speaks about, you know, the infra- infrastructure is lacking. So, you know, it, it's pos- it's positives and negatives in, any, in everything. And, uh, you know, for the most part, the video frames China's relationship with Africa as a partnership and not as uh, ex- uh, ex- I'm sorry, um, ex- exploitation. Ex- ex- Exploitation, you know, exportation is not a uh, exploitive relationship. Uh, you know, and they point out one thing I would point out too that the video show is the West response to China's involvement in Africa. They tr- they came up with called the Global Gateway as a response to China's development in Africa. Like, hey, this is what we're going to do with this great global gateway with Africa. More exploitation. More exploitation. That's all it is, and it's a, it's, and it's interesting. Like I said, anytime that African Africans are getting any type of momentum or any type of foot or toe out of out of our oppression, <laughs> the West or the capitalists and imperialists, all the same, they always have a response to our momentum. Whether it's the 2020 uh, uprise of George Floyd, hey, let's get Rapper Pharrell, and we're going to come out and say we're going to do Juneteenth <laughs> to quell the people uh, in, in our up, uprisings, you know. So this this is something they always do, man. They always have a response, and uh, I thank you so much, Brother Africa, for having these have you know for having these articles that's discussion tonight because discussion need to be 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 had. But it's just interesting that Bloomberg uh, uh, framed this um, you know article. Thank you, Brother Maurice, and we now go to Sister Eleanor. Talk to me, Sister Eleanor. Well, as um, Brother Maurice said, it's interesting that Bloomberg, a guy that tried to spend his own money and run for office, public office in New York City, uh, produced this film and or this video, and uh, he he recognized uh, China's. Um, Africa, and he recognized that China has a similar neo-colonialist past 
as uh, does Africa. They were in the same place 30 years ago. So the reality is is that building of infrastructure is important. What's also important, as Brother Haiki said and Brother Maurice, is the changing of how currency and how commodities are are, uh, uh, sold. And that's where the currency that you will accept for those commodities becomes important. And again, whether you demand payment in in British pound sterling, in the yen, or the U.S. dollar, or euros, is, uh, you know, to Africa's advantage at this time. And um, clearly, uh, infrastructure is essential and needed. And as an earlier, uh, Maurice also mentioned that the ports in uh, France still own so many of the ports in West Africa. So, so the issue is um, building, developing an infrastructure, and whether it's at zero loans or concession loans or commercial loans. The reality is to stay up on the loans, and the way you can do that is making sure that the that you're using a biocurrency to get away from the CFA and these uh, neo-colonial colonial currency. Now, the U.S. learned from the, the former super European powers like France, which is developing the CFA. So in El Salvador, they got the El Salvadorians to begin to be trading in dollars. But they've moved away from that, and they're using this new Bitcoin for the entire nation. Now, that's kind of new. It may have some bad points. I don't understand it very well, but I do understand a little bit about money. And, uh, again, there are three currencies that other countries trade in, and that is that British pound sterling, the the U.S. dollar, and uh, the yen, the U.S. dollar used to be what really made us great because we had a stable economy. But, uh, or may not us, but made the U.S. government strong. But Newt Gingrich crashed that by closing the government and uh, in 1995 and destabilizing the U.S. government. And it's uh, been failing ever since. So we see that, uh, uh, for example, in 1910, uh, Mexico was the first U.S. uh, foreign investment for the U.S., for example, and a dictator named uh, Diaz, who had a coup d'etat years earlier, ruled the country for 30 years. Well, what happened subjectively is that uh, a half of, billion dollars was invested in Mexico and U.S. citizens, whether the Rockefellers or one mine dealers, ended up owning uh, uh, half of Mexico's arable land. So what I see right now is not whether or not uh, uh, China's building infrastructure, but controlling its resources, its natural resources, as well as who it sells land to, and that no land be sold to any other nation 
and that, in fact, um, it be a lease of some type to the country, whether it's China or, or, or whomever is doing development there now. So we need to rethink um, uh, uh, the economic growth because the world is rapidly changing. And the global south is uh, suffering far too much environmentally to have made such a imp- small impact on, 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 on global warming. But they're also waking up. Uh, Colombia, as they said earlier, elected a positive government when they could have elected a neo-fascist. Uh, Nicaragua, we saw earlier elections earlier this year, and we saw them in Honduras. So the the world is waking up. They're becoming, everyone has computers, everyone's watching. They're watching what happens in the U.S., and they see the decline. Where you've seen uh, d- demonstrations, you saw a coup d'etat, the U.S. Capitol, January 6th. So the world's waking up. So there's an opportunity for each country to reflect on how they're selling their commodities that secret is, as uh, one article earlier said, was that by using a certain currency, Senegal, for example, had to, couldn't use Senegalese rice. They had to buy rice from Thailand. So the big thing is to control your resources and use a viable currency in being paid and to restrict investment in land and uh, ownership, whether it be your coal mines, your airports, your your t- railways. Uh, uh, China right now, as Bloomberg uh, uh, film documentary d- demonstrated, is actually a resource to Africa because they share a, a common colonial history. Thank you. Thank you, Illinois. And Brother Moses, you have the last take for tonight as we will close out with our theme today, Africa today. Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. Um, China, you know, it's, it's dear to my heart. Uh, as Chairman Mao, um, who I, I, I find it a great honor to, to have even been living during his, his lifetime. And, um, and being able to be educated up to the minute um, in terms of world affairs, et cetera. And so um, certainly when, 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 when you're on a revolutionary government and, a, and if you stick with mouths, serve the people, uh, um, certainly politics will be in command of economics. Politics will stay in command. And so... When politics in command, you're trying to do what is necessary in, in order to improve the world's situation, and uh, and that means you're what I characterize as the race against racism. You, that's one of your objectives uh, because that's 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 one of the fundamental contradictions in the world, and so that's why Cuba, as a Marxist government, was obligated to help free free Nelson Mandela help break the backs of the South African army. Uh, uh, internationalism, this, this is a Marxism. This is what Marxism is all about. 
And so we need a revolutionary government, a revolutionary party, a revolutionary organization. We need mass movement. We need people to get involved and uh, and uh, and take up the cause of of scientific socialism. And that means to actually have armed struggle as as the highest form of struggle uh, um, in terms of settling the class struggle. But that's a lot. That's not as simple as uh, it sounds. But um, anyway, um, I'll leave it right there. Uh, China, China shouldn't shouldn't be exploiting Africa. That's why Khrushchev's phony communism we talked about um, during during the Cuban situation about just so-called disinterested loans and stuff, and how they they were exploiting Cuba, and um, um, um. I um I like I said China's dear to my heart and I I just hope that uh, Africa will unite around as a third the part of the third world and see that that it's in their interest to unite with China and thank you thank you brother Moses this is Africa on the move we're going to take a revolutionary break and when we come back we can come back with our final thoughts for tonight our theme tonight is Africa today. That's what we've been discussing, some of the current issues that are facing Africa and African people today, and we'll be back. This is Africa on the Move. Viva Africa! Viva, viva! Viva Africa!
shake, shake your body. I say, scream and shout. Life is too short. No matter where you come from, Africa is your home. Scream and shout. Come dance with me. Take
That's right. We are children of Africa. We are children of Africa, and welcome back to Africa on the Move. And our theme tonight was Africa Today. And with our political panelists and analysts, we've asked each one of them to give us their closing thoughts for tonight. But before we do this, we'd ask Brother Haki to just quickly remind everyone of the upcoming Travel Challenge Tour to Cuba, and they can join us by working with the African Awareness Association. Brother Haki. We're doing this. African Awareness Association, we're doing this annual Black History Educational and Cultural Travel Challenge to Cuba. Uh, this trip takes place July 23rd to July 31st, leading out of Cancun, Mexico. While in Cuba, we'll be going visiting three, three places, Guantanamo, Santiago de Cuba, and Havana. Now, for your application, we ask you to email us at African Awareness Association, all one word, number two, at gmail.com. That's African Awareness Association, number two, at gmail.com. For additional information, please contact us at uh, African Women's Association, P.O. Box 4433, Richmond, VA, 23220, or contact us by phone uh, at area code 804-549-7492 or area code 202-714-9435. For additional information regarding the, the Cuba tour uh, trip that we've been taking, go to www.aaa-cubatours.com, and we encourage people to go to see Cuba for themselves firsthand. Thank you, Brother Haki. We also ask Brother Anthony if he can just say a few words as a reminder about people can hear today's tribute and celebration of Brother Kwame Sheree <coughs> and other past activities that they did beautifully for African Liberation Day. Brother Anthony. Sure. Uh, people can uh, visit our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org, uh, for more information about the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, as well as to view our tribute to Brother Kwame Ture uh, today. His birthday is coming up uh, this Wednesday, June 29th, 2022. He would have turned 81 years old. And uh, also you can find out information about, uh, and, and as well as videos and past programs regarding uh, this year's AOD Palestine Day uh, month. A series of activities were held. They're available on our website, uh, www.a-aprp-gc.org. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And for our final thoughts tonight, we'll start out with Brother Moses. Your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Moses. Okay, I'm just on mute. Um, uh, let's see. It's been an interesting um, night. Um, I think you know we have to sooner or later. Um, we all have to rely on dialectics. As one someone once told me uh, back in 
years ago. Uh, um, uh, we need to get more organized than we are. Every day we got to get a little tighter organization than 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 we are today, and uh, I'm I'm working on that uh, myself, and uh, and I just know that uh, where there's a will, there is a way, and so you know. Um, one love, one heart. If your heart isn't in it, just tell me so. And so, so you know, I'm I'm about revolution. And I'm about scientific socialism. Uh, I consider myself to be a political scientist and and a revolutionary. And so, um, anybody who, who, who's interested in in that, you know, that's what I'm about. And so, we have something in common then. Otherwise. We we just go our ways. So thank you, and have a good evening. Thank you, Brother Moses. And next we'll go to Brother Maurice. Your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Maurice. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Brother Africa, for, for having this platform again uh, and, and having these wonderful panelists uh, on, the, on the platform, having these great discussions and conclusions. It's Pan-Africanism or Paris, in the words of the great Kwame Ture, there is no such thing as a Superman. That is only in Hollywood. We cannot do this by ourselves. Building a brand, and I'm speaking to my generation because we got we to gotta step up. Our elders, they put in the work. We have to build, we have to build a Africa and our communities up for the, the upcoming generations. So they're going to rip the benefits that, of the work that we put in as Kwame Ture also stated. So 40, 40, I'm challenging you all, man, whoever listening can hear my voice, 40 years or younger. If you're listening to this uh, podcast and can hear my voice right now, please uh, join. You, you, you should have been joined by now. Please join. I'm not critiquing you, brother, because we, we all wake up and have different alarm clocks. But right now, the alarm clock, it's it's, 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 it's it's real super late. We we got to get going, brother. Organize, organize, organize more than ever before. Please join the AAPRPGC. You can join the Pan African Revolutionary Socialist Party. Please join a a revolutionary scientific socialist Pan African organization as soon as possible. Thank you. Thank you, brother Maurice, and we now go to Sister Eleanor. Your final thoughts for the night, Sister Eleanor. Well, Brother Africa and uh, uh, fellow panelists and listening audience, thank you so much for uh, allowing me to uh, participate. I'd like to remark on Khrushchev. In 1959, Khrushchev was the first revisionist in the Soviet Union, and the former Soviet Union was our model. Uh, for revolutionaries. So we have to always keep an eye on politics. It's changing all the time. And our greatest fight right now is, uh, of course, is capitalism. But right now, at this moment, unfortunately, it's authoritarian government. We elected one here, Donald Trump. You can see how outrageous things are here. 
we there's one that was uh, in office in Brazil, Bolsonaro. There's one in office in uh, 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 Hungary. There's one in India. So we need to fight this authoritarianism that it seems to have stuck his ugly head up. From 1933 to 1945, we saw horrific things happen on planet Earth. Uh, uh, maybe the Italians called themselves socialists. I don't know what Hitler called themselves. I don't know what Poland called themselves. But when the Soviet Union fell apart in 1991, Russia who had, and the U.S., who had the strongest militaries on Earth at that time, Neither no one or well, the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union did not take up arms against this nation state when Lithuania wanted to go, Latvia, the the, the uh, uh, Georgia, Abidjan. I said wrong. I'm sorry. Those nations they just went and became independent nations. But now we see the U.S fighting a proxy war, and every night the Capitol Dome of the United States of America with a light show of the Ukrainian flag. We see Anthony Blinken talking on, uh, on a TV about how we've been training the Ukrainians and in war games for 23 years. He recognizes the, the Ukraine as the youngest nation on earth. Did he forget about the... Uh, the Republic of Congo, what's going on here? So we need to stay and keep our eyes on the prize because the revisionists may have been exploiting, uh, a Russian revisionist leader may have been exploiting other nations. So we want to make sure that she, uh, keep our eyes on she, keep our eyes on our what's going on here and organize. But we must keep politics in command, and in order to do so, we need to deal with the micro and the macro and to understand that a revisionist, uh, a revisionist government, the first in, in the former Soviet Union, began in 1959, not, not, and that's how they got to 1991. And at that time, NATO should have been dismantled because NATO's purpose to protect the United States from the former Soviet Union. So there are a lot of odd things going on in the world, and we see this new kind of authoritarian mentality. And we need to wonder why the world is engaged in such behavior. But more importantly, we need to understand that in this nation state right here, 39 states, passed voter suppression laws since November 2020. And on the day Roe versus Wade was uh, overturned, you saw what these states that I chanted down uh, did. On that very day, we see uh, not only voter suppression laws, we see in Florida where they're screening out books that people can and cannot read and, 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 and public schools, including books on mathematics. So we need to fight authoritarianism. We need to take advantage of the few reforms that help the people advance the revolution in this country. And as all of the panelists keep me aware, people need to or 
organize. And this is an opportunity for women to organize with African-Americans, Africans to organize, for us to organize and get together to fight a common beat, the few that are ruling over the many. So I would say to you and our fellow panelists and our listening audience, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for allowing me to participate. And remember that uh, education should be a human right, but it's not, it is a human right recognized by the UN. Uh, Housing is a human right recognized by the UN, but not in the United States. These very common human rights are not recognized in the United States. So we need to organize, mobilize, educate ourselves, educate each other, and move forward. Forever forward, never backwards. And don't forget, Khrushchev was the first reformist, and he was an opportunist. And right now in China, we have 10 of the wealthiest men on earth. 30 seconds is Eleanor. 30 seconds. The wealthiest men on earth in America and one in India. Those 20 men have the most money of any individuals or corporation or any individuals on earth. So, you know, and the bottom line, it's about money. It's about economies. But more than that, for us, it's about the people organizing and controlling the means of production. And on that note, thank you and good night. Thank you, Sister Evelyn. Good night to you. Brother Hockey, you found the thought. Yeah, real, yeah, real quickly. There's an interesting uh, economic uh, paradox going on, and that is revenue neutral. Uh, one of the things interesting is that anytime governments spend, normally it's affiliated with tax increases. So if you spend on one hand, uh, you raise taxes on the other hand. What's happening here recently over the last 15 years is there's been the exact opposite, where they spend and actually decrease taxes specifically for the wealthy. That means that uh, what happens is that it, it has a real devastating impact on the economy. The economy is, is falling leaps and bounds. And so when we talk about whether we talk about real estate, the stock market, or even the bond market, the bond market, of course, is the market in which government goes to sell its, its uh, securities in terms of raising money for the functioning of the government. When we talk about, you know, these institutions and we talk about terms of their falling, then we've got to understand that this is in part a parcel of, of a, a government po- economic policy which gives all the money to the wealth at the expense of everyone else. Uh, it's what is important to understand that in doing so, not only do you undermine the economy, but more importantly, people have to understand that when they do that, when they undermine the economy, the government instinctively looks for scapegoats to blame. In the context of America, we understand who that scapegoat is going to be. If we don't understand who that scapegoat is going to be, then we need to return to history books and understand you know, the role that uh, Africans play in terms of serving as the villain, you know, for all kind of uh, all kind of economic policies which are which are counterproductive. Uh, having said that, Brother Africa, of course, I encourage people to unravel the matrix because it's key. We need institutions, organizations uh, in terms of confronting the fundamental ills that uh, uh, flourish in the society. I'd also like to thank uh, Brother Sabukwe. Uh, good to have him back. Uh, our resident uh, youth, it's good to have him back. And, uh, you know, uh, we always enjoy the commentary. But having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. Good night, Brother Haki, and we thank you. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts? My final thought for tonight is uh, 
in light of what's going on in the world today, Pan-Africanism is needed now more than ever, even uh, even more than when uh, when Kwame Ture uh, pushed for it uh, when he was alive. And uh, we need to join an organization that is working for people's liberation. One such organization is the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thanks for having me. We thank you, Brother Evan, for your contribution as well to today's program and to our listening audience, like always. We thank you to our friends and supporters and remind everyone that Africa on the Move is a weekly program that comes on every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S., and it's a community project of the African Women Association. For those who have not made up their mind yet to join our free ride tour to Cuba, we have to July the first to do that. Again, we'd like to shout out to the all give a shout out to the all African peoples. Revolution by GC for an excellent job done today as they did a celebration to the revolutionary life of Brother Kwame. So until like next time we'd like to remind you of a truth that we must live according to Brother Kwame Nkrumah when he stated that the imperialists and neocolonialists must know that we are not asleep. We know they are our enemies and we must prepare to face them anyhow in whatever in whatever way we choose. The important thing is that we must make them know that we know them. Know the enemy and prepare to confront them. That's a lesson truth that we must learn and adopt, and this show is a reflection of that based upon the information that we are sharing with you today. So until next time, like always, subscribe to go forward, back with double, and this has been Africa on the Moon. We leave you with some music for inspiration. We'll see you next week. Pull out from Brother Africa. Understood.
Africa, 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 Africa,
Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. 
black man? Go on and get a catch scan. I had chain wrapped too straight, too tight. We got a backhand. There ain't no Batman in this black land. I wish a rich nigga would come and save the day and pave the way. Ain't no amazing grace. I blaze the haze to remain the faith. 20 years for my medicine, but they want to throw me away for that. Then turn around and legalize it. I wish being black was truly accepted. 400-year elephant in the room. This ain't a new deal. They've been treating us like animals. We in a zoo still. So let me tell you how I feel. Guilty conscience trumps common sense every day, y'all. Ignore the issues, look at the victim like it's their fault. As if a wagon ain't harassing, waiting for jaywalkers in front of the building. Minding your business, news trying to pay your bills as if that wasn't to mention. Conjunction, junction, tell me what's your intention. Don't call him king, then treat him like some common folk. You a fighter like Ronda Rose. Rousey move around the rope. Drowsy with a cloud of smoke. Howdy do for Maui, bro. Traveling around the globe, you didn't know, but now you know. Early morning risings, my end of a long kick in. Birdman hand rubs, feeling my palms itching. I need a spiritual thought with top that's top notch. We watch Black Power Docs and study our chakras. Oh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. And we gon' cop a ticket and fly on out of here, fly on out. Oh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. Oh dear black man, tell me what happened You can't be low when your glow's everlasting Him with your aspen, on aspen like a has been Raising the trap when the gods talk math and moves with a max 10 Not that nigga back then, but look now nigga I'm established, cut camera action I cut lines with my sad card, my bitch is packing Then I'm cutting in line with a bad boy, they caught him flagging Then huddle round him with a stat chart, look You stay awake up feeling better than I I ever been. Check out my melanin. It's now the makeup for the mannequin that wants to be the same as the slave on the sedative. You kill culture, I give knowledge, I spit stylish. Crane kicks and Balenciagas and speaking science. And bodegas that grow flavors was taught language. Was taught to talk with the razor from having Spanish neighbors. I fought the haters, court cases, and lost paper. Educated killers walking, no ladies cross the street. Turn back around, walk across and sell hard to a fee. No turning back now. Rent you and your kids got. Black man rooted deep with the blood of a king, yeah Black man roses a rose from the cold concrete I eat, walk, talk, gritty Snitches get buck fifty One slice buck fifty Both get cut quickly Until they free Goldie Nobody can fuck with me Oh, child Don't you ever Come, come down You acting like the sun ain't out We gon' cop a ticket and fly on out of here Fly on out Oh, child don't you ever come, come down You actin' like the sun ain't out Black became beautiful, then made America great again. See the page of history or see the grave and hate again. I'm from New York, the last state to free the slaves, and now we getting to the point where they rebooting Martin Payne and them. Black man, switch it up, just to be versatile. Why you always mean mugging? Man, it never hurts to smile. Make a record, break a record, get the record straight. I'm just trying to get it going, I'm trying to accelerate. Life alert. Welcome to my world, live and living color, stay low, word to J-Lo, out here with my fly girl, black man, 
black man They give you whack answers They robbing you with Batman They give you Black Panther When all our people dying They think that we need a movie But the box office don't break off The descendants of Huey Think about it I'm cooler than a Coca-Cola polar bear Hold up, roll up something potent Right before we go in there Maroon Customs support that shit that touches the streets Puffing a leaf on a corner that gave me nothing but grief Don't come around my way if your whole message is how much you got If you ain't got no fucking shots then don't touch the fucking rock Lucy still 50 cent, cool what kind of blunts you got You can lock a few niggas for hustling but nothing stops The judge just makes a hero and a young black boy lose their fucking pops And go on a robbing spree like fuck the ops Phone out of battery, black mirror, word the Windex King of the table of contents, human index I handle everything myself, the one-man quintet Let's take it where it hasn't been yet Dear black man Worth life One take Fuck you Get shot in they back and fire back. We're tired of that. Corporations hiring blacks. 
denying the facts, exploiting us all over the map. That's why I write the shit I write in my rap. It's documented, I meant it. Every day of the week, I live in it, breathing it. It's more than just fucking believing it. I'm holding in one, rolling up my sleeves and shit. It's the low for push-ups now, many headed for one conclusion. Niggas ain't ready for revolution. Yeah, I've been black
the land Dig out me gold In a me land Digging out me pearl In a me land Dig out me diamond We are go fight, 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 fight in the We got to fight Majority, majority rule. 